All right. <clears throat> Good evening. So uh, we're calling to order the Board of Trustees meeting of October 24th. Yes, sir. Trustee DeVries. I'm here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Avalada. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Jensen is not here today. Trustee Peterson. Here. And Trustee Shequin. Here. We have a quorum. Excellent. All right. Um, and I think we have a public comment, right? We do it at the end now. Uh, we what? We do it at the end? It's not an agenda item. Oh, oh, it's on an agenda item. Thank you. Okay. All right. Maybe I should look at my agenda. Um, it's slowly loading here. Is it on an agenda item or not? It's a non-agenda item. It's a non-agenda item. Non-agenda item. Just at the end. Yes. Okay. Well, okay. All right. So um, I guess we're starting with medical staff reports. Uh, Dr. Ballard, do you want to take it away? Since you're at the top of the page. Sure. Um, and BSC, we approved all the privileges and credentialing. Um, I also mentioned in the open session that we had a... Um, emergent need for a, a special privileging form for a patient safety issue and um, our med staff was heroic and pulled together uh, what usually takes days to produce in the course of a few hours and we were able to get a Stanford surgeon over here to cannulate a patient who then went over to be on ECMO and is um, yet another example of how we're able to um, from our med staff services do kind of a heroic and amazing things in a short period of time when it comes down to patient safety. So I was really proud to see that happen. We didn't have any non-physician contracts. The biggest piece of news is that we um, are almost a month into Sapphire. And, and I know that there's a lot of growing pains, but it's, it's uncovering things that we never dreamed possible in terms of quality improvement efforts and being able to track and be accountable and everyone that I have come into contact with, even though there's a lot of growing pains and which box do I click kind of discussions, we're all super excited and just so thankful that, you know, we're here where we are now. Can you give, me a, give us a, a couple of anecdotal examples of how it's made life better for the patient? For the, well, for the but, you know, I think one of the biggest things is that we can sit in clinic or see somebody in the emergency room now and instead of speculating from a piecemeal history or, or word of mouth, we can actually go into care everywhere and see the actual report of the biopsy done at Sutter or at CPMC or at you know, Stanford. So it's incredible. We actually get real data, real time, and we can stand at the bedside and, and, and make educated and intelligent decisions on a reality versus something that's in this sort of world. This might be what we're dealing with. I think it's, it's increased patient confidence. I've, I've seen an increased patient confidence in clinic that we can say, oh, yeah, we saw your report. And they go, oh, cool. Mm. <laughs> we're like, yeah, that's cool. And we're excited about it. So the patients seem we're excited about it. And, and one really, you know, one really cool um, thing that the system allows you to do is that, you know, I, I have an art degree, so I can actually draw really good diagrams after my operations and stuff and describe wounds and even sketch them out if I need to. But we can actually, through one of the apps attached to Epic, take a real-time picture, load it into the progress mode. And so the person coming on after us can see, oh, wow, that, that wound was this big or that redness was this this big at time of the, the rounds at 10 a.m., 
now at 7 p.m., it's either better or it's worse. And they have that picture right there from 10 a.m. that morning, and it's not just the resident going, oh, yeah, I think it looks better. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, look at this picture. And they can take a second one and load it beside it and go, this is improving, this is not improving. And I, I think it's it's so exciting. We're just all really, really happy and willing to do whatever's necessary to make it a, a fine running machine. All right. And, and to add on to that, uh, because uh, uh, in that specific patient episode, um, then Dr. Ballard sent a consult note to me, and I was able to look at the picture and say, yes, that's what you thought it was. That patient should come into my clinic, and then I forward that referral immediately to scheduling. And that process would previously have taken a week if it would have happened. If it would, if it would have happened. happened. And, and I, I think my support of what Dr. Ballard is saying is, it's reduced our ability. Uh, it's it's re reduced our necessity to speculate, to wildly speculate as, as to what has gone on at other hospitals, mm -hmm. which has been with, um, such a frustrating part of being a physician. In in the prior experience here is, patient will come in. I've been at three other medical centers. Well, what happened there? I don't know. And then you just sort of have to guess. Did they put a camera in your mouth? Did they do any of these things? I don't know. And then we still have we have to make assessments and judgments based on wild speculation sometimes which right. which is uh, unsatisfying and and, and and scary so uh, and, and it's very entertaining the perception that our patients have of what's happened to them compared with what we can now confirm <laughs> is really or not yeah. so so yeah it, it has already changed the face of, of practice here great I would agree with that awesome thank you um, <clears throat> did you have anything else or can we move on that's uh, dr. general we uh, spoke also about the EPIC transition and uh, the, in general, uh, physicians are very glad to have access to the data real time uh, across the system and especially with uh, from multiple locations. Uh, we did also talk some about the inefficiencies, especially in the operating room, that it have not been worked out um, in terms of getting patients in and through. Uh, the actual procedures are done the same, obviously, but the inefficiencies of getting people in um, still are, are problematic, and so hopefully that will improve with time. And you, you personally already were using Epic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you're familiar with it, so it wasn't a big leap for you. Mm -hmm. How does it look for, your, for the staff you're working with? So, yeah, actually one of the points I brought up is I think that the, the staff, since a lot of the medical staff is at other facilities, they're more critical of the build because they know other versions of it that have been matured, I think. Um, and so I, uh, a, a number of the physicians have come to me um, with suggestions, you know, why was this is done elsewhere that way, why don't we do it that way, and you know, hopefully that will evolve. One of the other things I brought up is the, the physician dashboard, which is sort of set up in, in that to allow us to see statistics based on our activity and stuff. And it was an interesting, a few physicians have come to me, because one of the, the statistics that, uh, that comes up is the cost of doing operations you know, for a surgeon. Um, I'm not exactly sure where the data comes from exactly, but I assume it's the equipment used and disposables and stuff. And a lot of the physicians have asked me, what about, let's, let's, we should see the reimbursement side too, so we can compare the two to see, you know, our, our, how do we make our cost better for the reimbursement? You know, the physicians are interested, some of them, in, in those numbers, and it could change practice patterns, I think, you know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great that you're already having those conversations. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's valuable to have the physicians involved in that process. A lot of them 
traditionally have not been interested as much in that, but uh, I think the community's positions a lot of them are more tuned to it just because of the metrics that we deal with. So. Great. Anything non-epic you would need to report? Um, no, I don't think there have been other you know, major transitions. I mean, obviously the, the, the transition to the third floor is still ongoing, but nothing's really happening with that until um, uh, you know, that is online. So I think that, you know, there were some complaints that I've had about hardware issues. You know, not all computers have mics. Not all computers have the login. Somebody was bitching me about that today. Why can't we just have this ID badge login on every computer? Because it saves us time, you know, and the, you know, the death by a thousand clicks you know, <laughs> uh, thing, you know, so things need to be worked. Actually, I just know that I've, I've been complaining for two weeks about a tab that should be in one of the surgical things, and I was just playing with it, and it, it appeared today. One down? They need to run Great, great. Dr. Marzik, how are things out at Alameda? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, again, uh, credentials and privileges uh, went smoothly, and our listening packet. Uh, again, the SAFR issues uh, transition, which I think uh, overall went smoothly, and I mean, obviously hiccups, and uh, but uh, but uh, uh, also went uh, smoothly. Again, uh, I'll just echo. Uh, Dr. Angelino's complaint about uh, not having uh, login for the physicians and the physician workstations, but apparently that's in the works. Uh, uh, also, we happen to have uh, a revalidation survey. Uh, which came to the ER, went, uh, level two trauma, ETA, five minutes. Trauma came to the ER, level two trauma, ETA, five minutes. Our CMS uh, revalidation survey uh, went through very, very smoothly with no uh, deficiencies, uh, and uh, they accepted our correction plan. And uh, finally, congratulations, by the way. Yeah, th thank you. Uh, it's uh, all the hard work that the staff had done. Um, also, uh, the only major issue is uh, is our specialty coverage for emergency situations and particularly GI coverage, uh, podiatry and uh, ENT and urology, uh, uh, specifically GI coverage in, in terms of, of if there's an acute uh, uh, GI bleed, for example, or a gastrointestinal bleed, which requires intervention uh, middle of the night, for example, uh, we'd have to uh, transfer that patient uh, to, uh, let's say, Highland or uh, another facility. So that's uh, that the 24 covers. That's uh, uh, being addressed by uh, hopefully recruiting other physicians in the, in the future for all the specialty services. That's essentially it. All right. Thank you. Sure. Trustees, other questions? Comments? No? You guys, you guys did it all on QPSC, right? <laughs> forgot about that. Okay. All right. So um, with that, we'll move on to uh, my report. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, don't have a whole lot of updates to give, uh, but for one, um, we have our, um, our annual meeting in January. 
um, as everyone knows, and that is the opportunity to elect new officers. Um, and I will not be seeking uh, a, an officer position. I just want folks to know uh, it's been a great two years serving as president, uh, but I've got a lot of other pursuits. Um, I've got a pretty busy day job. Um, I'm getting my master's in June. And um, uh, while I like Del Vecchio, um, <laughs> I think I have to talk to him a little bit more than I had anticipated. I will still be active, obviously, on the board. Uh, I think later on the agenda you might reappoint me uh, for a third term. Um, and I, I would love to, to be unfettered from uh, the president duties so that I can pursue other, other important things that I think the system needs, uh, including out, outside advocacy with our legislative delegation. I would really like to see what we can do to have the state um, uh, come up with funding streams for 2030 seismic upgrades so we can secure Alameda Hospital in the future. Uh, I'd like to continue to help uh, with our relationship with the Board of Supervisors since I, I know all of them and get along with most of them. Um, and so um, that said, um, we'll, we'll, we'll do nominations later, but you know, we have another couple of meetings before that. But I did want to let all of you know that now so that people can start to think about what you would like to see this uh, this board look like as far as who, who will uh, sit in this chair. Um, other than that, we are having we had a, another check in with our with our uh, board of supervisors recently. I think that they had a retreat yesterday. I believe that uh, some of the a analytics uh, that they were waiting for from the auditor are a little delayed. Uh, I think that uh, they will likely move forward on our funding that we were hoping would be in this budget uh, soon. Um, so I think that that's, that's going to be, be okay. And um, I think that's all I've got. Am I forgetting anything that we talked about? No? So. No? That's it. So I'll turn it over. Unless you guys have any questions? My illustrious report. You mentioned the district board. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I know that we had our first ad hoc meeting of the Alameda Healthcare District, Alameda uh, AHS Board of Trustees on the, the Monday. On Monday, right. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I wasn't there, but I heard it went well. And I'll let you speak on that, Kinkini. Yeah, we met um, on Monday the 21st. And um, so um, this is um, an ad hoc seismic committee with members of the Alameda Health District Board and the AHS Board kind of working through to make sure that uh, not just um, that, that we are really working towards the long term, what happens then, and that we are all on the same page as we go through the transition and the seismic work and what the future of the hospital might be and how that uh, relates to the entire system. Um, Russ is the co-chair along with, and I forget her last name, Gail, who's on the board um, of Alameda um, Healthcare District Board. We were, had a really good uh, productive discussion. Ross, do you want to speak about it? No, or? Okay, thanks. We talked about the purpose and the charter of us. We did look at a joint statement that we want to give out to the community right now, talking about that the uh, that AHS is committed to doing the seismic work and you know all of that and that operationally um, that the facility will be running and that, that we will be working closely with the community and stakeholders to be thinking long term about that too. So that, stay, that statement is being finessed and we'll bring it to the full board um, um, 
um, in a day or two. Um, and we decided that we want to keep this at a pretty clipping rate. So we plan to meet every month, um, at least in the initial time, and then really begin. Because if we have to start thinking 2030, we really need to have some plans in place in the next year or two. So we will be doing a stakeholder engagement um, plan uh, pretty quickly. Anything else for us? Uh, just a, a, an emphasis on developing a critical path that, uh, you know, when, when do things have to be done by in order for us to meet the seismic requirements? And, and then also at um, the AHCD has had Kaufman Hall do a kind of um, review and assessment of their own facility. So at the next meeting, they'll be um, sharing those reports with us. And again, we'll bring that to the full board too. Sure. Delvecchio, did you have anything? Uh, I guess if you wanted to mention the, the board um, uh, work too around uh, with uh, Woodfield. Oh, okay, sure, sure. So we, we've had, what, three, we have a signed contract. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had uh, three meetings, three, two? Yes. Yeah, three meetings. Uh, uh, Kim and myself, both we both attend, and uh, we have it, what, every Wednesday, I think it feels like, anyway. Thursday now, Wednesday, well, yeah. and then Monday next week. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Kind of moved around a bit. And uh, we're, we're moving forward, trying to move forward pretty quickly. We provided them, uh, uh, Del Vecchio has provided them with a lot of information that they've requested. Uh, we put together a uh, list of folks to be contacted, and we're putting together a schedule for that. Uh, uh, including both folks from, you know, from our, some of our trustees along with uh, chair, usually chairs of various, you know, finance, audit, and so forth. And then we've uh, included some, some other folks that we think are critical from um, the Board of Supervisors, from the community. There's, you know, so I, 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 we went over the list together and I think we felt it was given, you know, that we can't interview everyone. It seemed like a pretty real, realistic list. If I could ask a clarifying question, it's actually the last report, uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee, uh, you mentioned that uh, there was an affirmation of the commitment from the Alameda Health System to uh, to the seismic work. I just want to clarify that that's the seismic work that is currently... Yes. Is the one that's that's that is yeah. starting with late in... And just for the record, uh, that doesn't... That commitment uh, doesn't... Uh, apply to the 2030 requirements. Right. That's absolutely right. And the, the, uh, the purpose of this committee is to make sure that, you know, the, um, that we look at the long-term sustainability. And we're trying to figure it out together, right? Together, so, yeah, good. What, Thank what you. that is, because this, this is meeting the requirements for the 2020-2022 seismic upgrades. Which was that a I very needed. difficult commitment to make in its own right, let alone yeah. go and I, I, I think we're trying to reconcile the needs of the community in Alameda Hospital with those of our system. Great. And make sure that we can, you know, find a middle ground where we can all work together for the betterment of services to the community. Perfect. All right. Thank you all for your group reporting under my uh, agenda item. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. uh, okay, I believe in collaborative decision making, right? And, and reporting, so that's great. Um, oh, and the one last thing, which is going to come up later on our agenda, I really want to thank the county. Um, we have a special guest tonight. We have the director of GSA here to join us on our capital uh, uh, expenditure uh, discussion, and I just think that's fantastic. Just another step. 
uh, towards continuing to strengthen this collaboration. And um, uh, I know that uh, when we met with the, the, the um, supervisors on Monday, uh, we talked about the next joint meeting, which probably won't be until January. But we thought if we have a substantive uh, uh, package, if you will, to look at on our capital expenditure plan, that they can look at as well, that, that we could, at our joint meeting we can make some group decisions uh, so that we're all kind of on the same page as far as meeting those capital needs. And I think it's a great example. Uh, the other thing we'd like to have them report out on is the, uh, the, the AHP, uh, Alameda Health District work. Uh, we thought those two items would just be a great thing to have alignment on, at least to have conversation on, even if we don't have alignment, um, because it really puts them front and center and, and can continue to help strengthen the, uh, the collaboration. So uh, with that, we'll turn it over to our CEO. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, great as always to see you. Uh, so the last time we were together uh, was two days before we went live on Sapphire. And uh, those of you who remember, it was also coming off of a uh, a week uh, or a weekend where we had um, uh, endured a one-day uh, labor action that impacted two of our uh, sites and kind of had some residual impact across our system. So a lot of our um, uh, leaders, uh, particularly in the uh, clinical areas, nursing and otherwise, but also across a lot of other areas that were kind of uh, helping to uh, do the all-hands-on-deck approach at work, have went through kind of a... Um, a series of back-to-back-to-back -back -back weeks of almost seven days of engagement uh, with our staff. And um, and then we went into this thing called Sapphire in Epic and, and kept it going and added a host of other people to that on a Saturday morning at about 5 o'clock. And I won't steal the thunder. I have invited Mark, as we did last month, to, uh, uh, to provide the update. And he's going to do that uh, while also uh, uh, highlighting some really um, uh, wonderful folks who really helped to lead this effort uh, uh, in, in this uh, month, this first month. But, you know, we, we, we left that meeting going, we're going to go live on Sapphire, and that's, you know, Herculean enough. And what else happened during that time? Well, let's see. CMS showed up not once but twice, and they're here as we speak. Uh, so we're going into our second straight week of having uh, CMS here. Uh, we endured a couple of days of threatened power uh, outages uh, and had to really uh, corral around that. Poor Baljeet was up and doing, I think, what was a Q4 hour call starting at like midnight. Um, um, so um, uh, we've had a lot of people burning some serious oil. Um, uh, and then, you know, we had, uh, as uh, uh, you heard some uh, um, uh, references to our own routine audit and a couple of other audits going on. So, you know, Epic is helping us clinically, but also uh, um, administratively and in our rev cycle. And so they have kind of a whole go live themselves. And, um, and obviously, a lot of our continued um, progressive work at John George as we've had leadership uh, transitions there and a lot of folks uh, with our quality leadership, nursing and operational leadership have really been digging digging in deeply there and I think some of the uh, fruits of that uh, effort are, are showing up in our in our survey which um, as we said we are hoping to get some favorable um, 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 results when when things wrap up or appear to be wrapping up tomorrow so so more to come on that but so just as you know when you think all you have to do was bring up a system-wide EHR in a big bang process life happens right uh, so so we've also bought and we're here and that's great so I'm going to zip through some updates and I'm going to yield 
um, uh, significant balance of my time for Mark to really um, uh, highlight uh, what has been an in in incredible effort thus far and has really planted the, uh, the foundation for us to really build from here as we turn, uh, turn the page in a major way for our system. Uh, but as usual, we have the True North uh, uh, Metrics Dashboard, which you receive in advance, so I'm not going to spend time discussing it unless there are any questions about it. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we have it here. We are making progress in uh, many areas. Um, um, uh, you know, the finance part is still somewhat compromised as we continue to um, uh, pull the contract over that you mentioned in terms of our behavioral health dollars that will help. We have to negotiate the new contract uh, for FY20, the final contract for behavioral health, and we've scheduled tentative dates uh, for that activity. Uh, and we are continuing, obviously, as we go live with Epic to uh, shore up opportunities in our net patient service uh, revenue um, um, and uh, rough cycle uh, um, improvement efforts there. So that's on the finance side, quality side, really uh, continue to um, perform on our paper performance, access, uh, having some success there, but it's, we're, we're fairly early into the year, so we'll keep going. All right, a couple of mission moments that I wanted to highlight, and I think I only selected three, but there were so many uh, uh, that I could have chosen, notwithstanding all the challenges that I just mentioned. But this is one that is directly connected to Sapphire. So one of the things we had to do with our EHRs is get new hardware because uh, the hardware had to support the technology. And uh, a byproduct of that was that we had uh, several thousand monitors that we had to replace, and those monitors were perfectly good monitors, and we wanted to do something really good with them. And and we contact, reached out to our partners at OUSD. Um, and as you know, we work with a lot of school districts uh, with our health path program. Uh, but OUSD was in dire need of monitors that they were using both within their facilities as well as donating to families uh, um, who may have uh, resource constraints and helping them to you know, kind of continue to survive academically in the digital age. And so we donated roughly 2,200 monitors to OUSD. And um, they had an event yesterday. Were they logoed with AHS okay. on them? <laughs> For tracking purposes. So they had an event yesterday, and as you can see in the top, well, actually, both of them, because he likes to be in pictures, uh, our CIO, Mark Amy, uh, was with uh, the OUSD leaders, and this was um, that, that, the gentleman next to you, I think, is the principal for Oakland High School, right, right next to us. I've seen him with our uh, health path work and, and other leaders there. And then this is a group of some of the students at the bottom here. So really appreciate. The, the rich uh, partnership and collaboration we have with them in any ways we can support our future. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing. So, This is, uh, and I want to thank Dr. Buquette um, uh, for joining us this year for our annual, you know, we do employee service awards and we had an event um, uh, this, this year where we celebrated people who hit milestone accomplishments. And uh, I highlighted a, one lady on the side here because she celebrated 40 years of service. Um, and she's a nurse at San Leandro, I believe, if I recall correctly. 40 years. And she actually pulled me aside and said, it's 41. I was out of the country last year. Uh, <laughs> but she, she made a point to show up this year and uh, uh, just really remarkable tenure and service. And this year, um, one of the things we've been talking about uh, for the last year is really, in, in addition to celebrating uh, years of dedication and service to our system, which is laudable in and of itself, but in some ways has a little bit of like survival uh, uh, um, a kind of uh, um, tinge to it, like, you know, I survived 25 years and so so we wanted to kind of also take the opportunity to complement um, the years of service again which is just wonderful and remarkable with um, 
uh, you know, depth of what you did, and so we're kind of complementing the award or the awards with actually awards that advance uh, kind of the stories we like to tell with the organization. And so this year we get two awards that we really uh, uh, spearheaded by HR and our quality leadership. Uh, one of the awards was on uh, patient safety and quality, and that award uh, we gave to our pharmacy team actually for some remarkable uh, leadership that they have provided over the course of the year for. Um, uh, patient safety uh, uh, efforts, and the other award was recognizing employee. Oh, I'm sorry, patient experience and patient engagement, and that award went to was it sixth floor nursing or eighth floor nursing here at Highland? Who? What, what was their milestone? Or the, the, 71, 71st. 71st percentile uh, um, over the course of the entirety of the year, right? Yeah, so uh, great, great awards. And we're going to do more of that uh, as we continue to both highlight and celebrate uh, years of dedication and service to our mission and to our patients in our community, as well as uh, incredible work that people are doing while they are uh, uh, in their years. Uh, the last thing I think I highlighted was, because uh, this got some trade publication uh, press, um, over the year our care management team, over a, probably about a year and a half actually, have been working on this collaboration that came to us, I think through IDEO, uh, which is a, sort of a human engineering uh, uh, company that's based down in Silicon Valley. And there was a collaboration that was around uh, looking at, um, looking at, mobility in a kind of, um, looking at the automobile industry as, as a form of mobility and not just like selling cars and, and looking at how you could use that in a sort of service-oriented way. And um, uh, it led to this collaboration with us and Royal Ambulance and uh, using them uh, with, in a partnership with Lyft to use their dispatch service uh, embedded with our service to provide non-emergency uh, Lyft-based transport for our patients for clinic visits, um, um, uh, trips to pharmacies to pick up their prescriptions, all designed to do things like reduce no-show, help patients with a social determinant, uh, like transportation, and uh, somebody did some analysis on this. I can't corroborate this, but the data that was uh, presented in the, uh, the the case study that was presented said uh, that this, uh, over the course of the year, this collaboration had netted about some $400,000 in savings for things like missed appointments and other sorts of uh, challenges to our system based off of uh, patients who now have this uh, service working with our care management team and with these partners. And the uh, Alameda County EMS agency should be on here as well. They were also partnering in this uh, effort with us. So really wanted to highlight that. So I remember a few years ago <clears throat> where we needed a, to enter into a contract, and there were only two uh, applicants, mm -hmm. uh, Uber and Friendly Cab, I think. And we were hoping to not use Uber because of the incidents, the things that were going on with the CEO at the time, but they were the best bid because Lyft wasn't ready. Right. So is that no longer happening and now we're working No, that Lyft? still is happening. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. This was an innovative project that was on the side of it. Uh, yeah, that's still happening. The leadership has changed. The leadership has changed. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Moving right along. <laughs> That's okay. At this point, I want to turn it over to Mark Amy uh, to provide some epic updates. Mark. Thank you. Well, first of all, what uh, struck me is I should just have our medical staff leadership continue the presentation for me. So thank you uh, all on that. It's actually been great, uh, a great partnership uh, with you folks on that. And I know we've had a few bumps uh, along the road, but it's really been uh, um, uh, very impactful for me as a non-clinician to watch how our clinical folks are using the system. So thank you on that. It was um, a month ago when I was talking with you, and our blue square was one square back. Mm -hmm. And 
like I have on every go live, I had some apprehension about what things were going to look like over the next month and a little bit of nervousness. And I'm here to tell you that things have gone phenomenally well for us. Sure, we've had a bunch of bumps along the way. We've got some things we're still working on, a few things in the lab, a few things in actually every area. I'm looking over at Richard's area. We've got a little, few things we're still working on over there. We've got a bunch of things we're working on, some things in quality, et cetera. But things are going really well for us. And I'm really pleased uh, with, the, with the work we have. So I'm going to highlight a little bit on what we have. I'll move through the slides fairly quickly and then if you have questions I'd be happy to uh, uh, to share those with you. We actually have a video here at the uh, at the very end that Del Vecchio has not yet seen so that'll be uh, actually seen. Uh -huh. so. Are you guys going to be singing so, in this yeah, one? So, yeah. <laughs> 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 At least for a while. So quick update on, uh, on our EPIC status report. We actually got a satisfactory uh, coming into this, uh, in, into this round. Now we will continue to get some status reports going into the next and there's a couple areas that I'm watching pretty closely right now as we go into our next month. But we, uh, for the last month, we actually got a satisfactory as we went into this, and that's always good for us um, in that process. A um, couple of things on the go live highlights. We actually were an hour and 51 minutes delayed from our uh, from our initial target, which was 4 a.m., which, uh, in full disclosure, I've done seven of these. That was the closest I've ever been to being on time. For So these are always delayed at some level. We actually, for a brief period of time, thought we were actually going to be ahead of schedule, which was exciting. But there's always something uh, that happens. We had the wrong set of labels at one of our hospitals, and we had to run labels over after extensive troubleshooting on that. So that delayed us a little bit. So there's, there's generally something like that that ends up, uh, ends up getting you uh, in those. But uh, we had a very uh, you know, successful go live with uh, the time that we were at. We'd actually provisioned to go as long as four hours late without any impact with the system. So we were right in the sweet spot there with what we did. Um, our command center, we've been down in the um, uh, down in our command center for the last month. You can see some of the pictures of it. Um, it's in the atrium. For those of you that know the uh, older hospital portion, it's in the atrium. You can actually see, I noticed it in one of the pictures, our staff, I'll call it the scary children room because of some of the pictures that are up on the walls uh, in there that are uh, historical um, uh, relevance. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Why would they think? We should talk about that. <laughs> So a few other things um, uh, that uh, were um, uh, of interest. We actually implemented 29 um, modules um, with Epic as, as we uh, did this. And that was pretty exciting when you start to think about the breadth of what we did in a big, big bang um, uh, uh, process. I've actually had a number of people call up and ask, you know, how our go live went. What, what did we do? And every time they're like, yes, but you didn't do, and then pick their favorite module that they'd had problems with. You didn't do lab, or you didn't do pharmacy. And I'm like, no, we did lab. And then they're like, oh, well, you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. We basically did all of the um, EPIC modules with the exception of one, which is um, the Beacon module, which is around um, 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 uh, how you handle oncology, exactly. And uh, it's a complicated module. We'll be looking at that as an enhancement, uh, potentially down the road for us. But we, we really covered the gambit. And then when you consider the complexity of our organization with our acute care hospitals, with our skilled nursing facilities, with our long term, uh, with our uh, behavioral health, and everything in between those that we have, it's a, it's a complex uh, mechanism that we put together here. Um, some of the st statistics uh, that we had well, here. I got quoted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just, uh, the statistic that um, actually the um, uh, help desk team wanted me to call out though here, we did, did not make the uh, cover, but we closed 
11,233 help desk tickets as of yesterday. So it's a lot of help desk tickets that have uh, come in and a lot that have been closed. The last week we've been consistently closing more help desk tickets than we've been opening, which is an important metric for us because we're actually going into shutting down the command center at the end of this week. Um, down in the atrium, we'll be moving back to Creekside. We'll be still keeping extended hours, still have a captain operating it, but we've been consistently uh, crushing the help desk tickets as we've been moving through. So a few other things uh, on this, uh, as far as the focus for us. Uh, the CMS survey has um, absolutely been a big one. We actually partnered Marcy, our uh, training manager, with the CMS um, team that had been spun up in operations to help make sure that we had quick escalation. Interesting issue we had, we didn't have a couple of the CMS reports ready to print that we needed, and so printing became one of the things that we spent a bunch of time on with the CMS uh, uh, survey process. John George, um, the partnership, um, Janet, Pam Beer with the, with the two of you. Um, I'm gonna introduce Pam in a second here, but we uh, spun off a team to work with you folks there. Very much appreciated, Luis, you were out there as well. Thank you uh, on that. And then lab pro processing, uh, Dr. Ng is not here, but she has been um, absolutely a, um, a um, uh, a uh, foundation for us on what we've been doing here. It's such a great partner in what, with the work we're doing there. And you can see her um, wearing her super cape. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, coming up, uh, things that we have uh, that we're going to be uh, that we're going to be going forward. You can see the uh, the various areas we're going to be focused on. Optimization is going to become a bigger and bigger area of focus for us. Um, there's a couple of things we've already identified. One of them is we want to really. Um, rebuild in a lot of um, places our preference list with our doctors as we've gotten smarter on how they're practicing and especially as we've integrated um, various hospitals together we uh, realize that we can actually do some streamlining there we do some clicks around that we've got some revenue recognition stuff that we're working with uh, Kim on uh, at this point that'll be an early optimization uh, for us as well so you can see some of the things that we have uh, that are, that are um, you know, part of our plan going forward um, budget we're still under budget. We're about $3 million projected at this point um, to come in under budget, which uh, I'm uh, really pleased at. Uh, um, kudos to Katya. And uh, again, I'll introduce uh, the group here in a second, but she's been watching that closely for us uh, as we've been going through. We still have a very positive budget variance as of today, but that's largely a tiny thing because we had a heavy spend over the last couple of months, so we'll be catching up there very quickly. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I'll find a quote uh, from where I'll let you uh, read it, but uh, a quote from one of our patients here. We have gotten a number of comments from our patients, most of them being related to us through either our, our nurses or our doctors that they've heard from our patients. But it's been really neat. Uh, you know, one of the metrics that we mentioned uh, earlier was the number of uh, my chart um, signups that we've had, uh, 1,254. Um, Sign-ups, um, Delvecchio and I had a little bit of a competition who, uh, who could sign up fastest, and I won uh, on that, so, um, but um, I've been using my daughter sign up, so I won. So, and I, I uh, you know, <laughs> I've been communicating with my uh, physician since I got signed up. It's been great uh, okay. in, in the process. So. Well, it's your daughter, though. So, how many folks have signed up with that? 254 so far that we have, and we have a lot more out there pending. I, you know, I think this is one of the things so we're going to want to do a big marketing focus on as we go uh -huh. forward because I th it, yeah we, we talked about this uh, I think a few board meetings yeah. before mm -hmm. but so many um, people you know, in, in, that, that are um, either homeless or are home, you know, um, uh, or in other um, areas uh, where they have some sort of um, a need like that they still have a smartphone and they can still connect mm -hmm. in and help manage their uh, manage their healthcare very directly with us. So. Are, are they invited to join mm -hmm. uh, when they come in? Absolutely. Okay, yes. We're going to be strengthening that because we actually are tracking um, targets on that and some of our clinics seem to be doing a great job on it. Some of them are a little bit more hitting this and I think it's just a reminder and honestly the 
first month, you don't usually push it that hard because people are just figuring out the system. And, but we are going to want to make that a, a major part of uh, what we're doing. Tangerine's actually been helping with that. I promised her some iPads that'll be uh, given out to patients yeah. to help them check in uh, while they're in clinic. So I haven't forgotten that tangerine. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard it here. You want to propose? You want to propose? <laughs> so I do want to do, before we get to the video, I want to do a quick um, introduction. Um, Pan, Katya, David, do you mind coming up uh, real quick? Um, you know some of these folks. Uh, you probably don't know Pam, and unfortunately, Dean, our chief technology officer, um, had to leave early, but he was here uh, at the very beginning. But uh, Dr. English has been a phenomenal partner as our CMIO, and I couldn't have done it without you, Dave, so thank you. Uh, Katya, I think you all knew this. She started this uh, journey, actually. Uh, she interviewed me when I was coming on board, and has really been the um, heart and soul of keeping the project um, alive uh, for us. And uh, then Pam is a new addition to us. She's our interim VP of applications and has been instrumental in all the areas that uh, I had no idea were going to bubble up as problems. She's been able to tamp those down for us. So thank you all, all three very sincerely, as well as all your teams. We really appreciate it. And I, I would be remiss uh, before we jump off of this. There's been a few things, because I, I was actually thinking about why did this go live go as well as it did. And there was a there was one factor I think that you really can't put, you can't measure it. But And, and I'm sitting here and looking around the room, and I could call, and it's always dangerous when you start this, but I could go down the list and call on every one of the executive team and then their teams under them that have been so engaged with us. Because, you know, when you think about it, with the complexity of what we were doing, what we were coming off of, some of the challenges that we had, uh, where we were not always integrated, um, it, it, this go life could have gone really poorly. I mean, it, was, uh, it, it really could have. And it didn't, at some point, matter how you built the system, whether the system was really good or wasn't as good, it really came down to whether the leadership team, and that was our doctors, it was our administrative team that really came together and helped make this thing just a phenomenal go life. So very sincere thank you. I'm not going to start mentioning names because I'll forget somebody at that point, but it really has been a great uh, partnership with folks. And Dave, with that, do you mind throwing on the video for us? Hi, I'm Del Vecchiopin. And I'm Mark Amy. And we're coming to you live from our Go Live Command Center here at Highland Hospital. You know, almost two years ago is when we got our first approval for this EHR. And this is one of the most significant investments in EHS history. But more important than the spin is the value that this investment has for our community. We knew that having a single EHR would radically change the way in which we do our work and the value that we bring to our patients. We went live about a month ago. And ever since then, every day has been a continuous improvement. We're so proud of our clinicians, all of our staff, and the work that they've done in helping make the system better each and every day. This really illustrates your dedication to EHS and your commitment to delivering high-quality, affordable care for our community. We're now moving on to the optimization portion of this project, and that's also going to be an exciting area for us to contribute and continue to grow. This simply could not have been possible without you and your involvement. We needed each and every one of you. Thank you. We are truly grateful for your commitment to the health and well-being of AHS and the people of Alameda County. And we're now going to look back on some of the pictures of some of the faces of the people who are helping make this possible.
Other trustees, I, I know from Dr. Jenner that, that there's a problem with doctors uh, access um, having a card that can access any workstation. Is that uh, what other like tangible hurdles do we have like to make this thing work? Like that, you, just I'm, I'm curious. I mean, this is all wonderful, but I'm sure there's there's a lot of you say a lot of bumps and hiccups. Like what? What's, what's a big deal? We still have hundreds of open tickets uh, that we're working on. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of one issue that we had. We had gotten the wrong label print, uh, printers for our lab specimens, and they started peeling off of the um, uh, lab vials. And it, put our, um, as, uh, and it put our lab into a tailspin. We got that resolved, but in, and thank goodness Dr. Ng is such a great partner on that, but it was you know, an example of one thing. We had several order sets that weren't linked up correctly. Um, we've been working through to correct those. Um, that, you somehow got missed during the uh, either the build or the testing uh, portion of things. Um, there's there's a variety of things like that. I could go on with uh, with um, um, literally hundreds um, of, uh, of things like that. We uh, got backed up one day um, in admitting because we're actually we're still chasing the issue where we have a USB port um, problem that is not translating correctly to Epic um, with what we have and we've been working on that for the last three weeks. Uh, we have an open uh, critical uh, ticket with them. We're talking with them twice a day on the phone so we got many things like that that are going on any systemic things that were is that a one i mean these all sound kind of like one-off problems but anything well, that's the across US, the board the hard USB for our users? thing as an example is impacting anywhere we're using the um signature pads um, for uh, consent oh. and so on like that so we have workarounds to all of these uh, you know, so every issue i'm, I'm raising we we quit you know, part of the job is to quickly develop a workaround to it but you don't really hit your efficiency um, until you um, uh, until you have that uh, that issue actually resolved. So we have workarounds to it, um, but uh, yeah, that's a, an example of something that's across the board for us. Absolutely. Okay. Do you have questions? Okay. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank really you. wonderful, wonderful news. Is that is that your report? No. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, what is that what does that bring us to? Uh, uh, we're uh, on the consent agenda. Yeah, so can I get a motion on the consent agenda? Oh, committee report. Oh, committee report. I'm so sorry. Thanks. Thank you. Do you want to? called What's the Difference Between Equity and Equality? Uh, I thought this was a really robust discussion because we we often, the royal we, interchange these. So I actually printed out this so, and we can pass it around. It's actually probably the best, the, best cartoon, the best cartoon I've ever seen, which nicely summarizes 
the difference between equity and quality. Um, we also had an article called Learning to be LGBT Friendly, which was uh, written uh, by one of the medical centers in Boston and was sort of a guidance document for other centers who are learning to be LGBT friendly. You forgot the cue. Uh, that was, the, that was the title of the article. <laughs> um, yes, they forgot the cue. Um, Trustee Banerjee, I want to quote her, uh, said during this discussion, thanks for this. If we aren't thinking about equity in an intentional way, we won't be able to treat everyone with intentional care. And I thought that was, uh, I th thought that was one of the uh, a poignant and driving phrase, uh, a drive driver for this. Uh, you know, I, uh, ad nauseum, I've, I've tried to walk us all through the construct for quality, which is steep. And we'll do it all together once again. Safety, timeliness, effective, efficiency, equity, and then patient-centeredness. And it seems like we all have metrics around all of these, save equity. So we'll continue to push the dialogue. Uh, uh, I think uh, Janet McInnes and uh, Felicia Tornabene are going to be taking a lot of this on, and they'll be presenting to us in about four to six months about movement uh, for how we can move towards certifications and the like. I think that's going to be some great stuff. More to come from that. Then we went on to the Chief of Staff reports. Dr. Ballard highlighted some concerns around residency program violations for the Department of Medicine vis-a-vis -vis the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. Long story short, uh, there's uh, relations to burnout, organizational support of educational matters sort of has put uh, the, the Department of Medicine residency program uh, under view uh, by the ACGME. It's important for this issue to be kept on the radar for this organization because if the Department of Medicine internal residency program uh, should be suspended, there would be a domino effect. You can't have an emergency department uh, residency program without a uh, Department of Medicine residency training program and similarly for the surgery department. So this is uh, our, our organization's commitment to education is, is apropos on this, on this subject matter. As always, I ask the, the presenters to uh, rank order their top concerns. Dr. Ballard's top concerns last month were number one, diversity, number two, Sapphire, Number three, trust between medical staff and the executives. Dr. Ingenue's number one concern was Sapphire. Number two, OR volumes. This was relative to San Leandro Hospital. Dr. Marzouk, uh, his number one concern was Sapphire. And number two was the transfer center. We then heard a, a wonderful report by Richard Espinoza from Post-Acute. Uh, I asked Richard uh, his concerns. Uh, his number one concern was employee engagement. His number two concern was the acute rehab move. And number three, uh, quite amazing the work Richard has done, was he only has two remaining surveys of seven. Was that the correct number? Yes. Of seven. So he wasn't as concerned as he should have been because he's already negotiated five, but it was uh, pretty impressive. Then, of course, we heard the patient safety and regulatory affairs and the True North dashboard review and uh, had discussion around that. And that was the September QPSC. Any Great. Okay, the uh, Finance Committee uh, met, and uh, we're in a, uh, I would describe, when you look at the report in the packet, we're sort of in between because we approved a budget late this year. Uh, the rolling forecast and the annual forecast are not uh, synced up yet with uh, our performance to budget, and that's just uh, 
a desire on the part of staff to, to, to do it right, to, to not put that together in a way that uh, um, is uh, needs to be corrected uh, sometime later. So very appreciative of Kim's attention to detail. Uh, and I would just alert uh, trustees to um, next month will be uh, probably more, more telling. But uh, year to date, uh, we're you know the bottom lines are uh, under under expenses and uh, more revenue than we uh, expected. Not not large numbers, but uh, 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 differences that are in the right direction. The other uh, piece I'd like to report on is uh, uh, Trustee Bouquet uh, challenged us uh, all, me in particular, maybe as the chair of the uh, finance committee, uh, uh, to, uh, to into a collaboration around uh, quality and, and uh, finance to work more closely together. So I've been think, trying to think differently about the role of the finance committee. And uh, today in quality, actually, there was a, a wonderful report uh, on uh, the part of a couple uh, docs related to care of providers who have, uh, who have uh, may have gone through a, a, a difficult provision of services uh, having to share uh, rough news or you know quite frankly even the word trauma comes to me uh, and there was a moment in the conversation when there was a question about uh, ROI uh, return on investment and uh, the presenters, I could tell, were reluctant to want to uh, provide that information. I think one of the things that happens with financial information is, uh, particularly with, uh, in relationship to services, is that we almost feel obligated to show the value of those services in dollars. And it, uh, it's often very hard to measure, and this certainly would be the case in, in, uh, with th these sorts of services. Uh, and I would suggest that uh, Trustee Bouquet and I could work further to try to come up with ROI standards that allow for a, a, a better measurement, a fuller measurement that has financial component but also recognizes, uh, for example, one of the pieces I, I, I think, one of the elements of measurement here could be uh, absenteeism. And because uh, it doesn't take much absenteeism to uh, uh, result in a large cost increase. So I uh, just want to report out that uh, still thinking about that and working on, on that with uh, Trustee Bouquet. And that's my report. All right, thank you. Any questions? Nope. All right, so we are on to our consent agenda. Um, motion to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. All right. Motion passes. Um, that gets us to our um, uh, the end of the consent. So here we go, action items. So we're on to their county facilities conversation. report? Yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm going to grab this. If we're in the right place. Yes. Uh, so, um, trustees, uh, this actually, the request came out of the finance committee. Um, in finance committee, one of the trustees asked for a status uh, on uh, how we were doing with our collaboration with the county on the capital expenditure uh, uh, efforts that were drawn out of um, uh, the agreement that we did with the county for the strategic reserves for the EHR. So just by way of reminder or, or refresh or just letting folks know who weren't around at the time. Um, Per the permanent agreement, so going back to the permanent agreement, uh, there was an expectation that beginning in fiscal year 2019, AHS would begin to set aside uh, $7 million a year, subject to stability to, uh, um, 
do that, but set aside $7 million a year that would go into a strategic or capital um, uh, a fund, um, capital designation form, uh, fund, I think is what it's called, um, uh, and that um, those funds would be available for use for a strategic purpose. Uh, maybe you'll recall when we decided to go down the pathway for EPIC and we did the total cost of ownership and tried to come up with how we might finance it, uh, one of the mechanisms for that $200 million uh, investment was that we would uh, seek this source of dollars, which would effectively be $7 million a year for about 10 years, so $70 million uh, that would be used for this purpose. So with the AHS board's uh, um, um, permission, we then floated the idea to the uh, board of supervisors who then agreed to it, but when they agreed to it, uh, attached stipulations to it. And of these stipulations, one of them was that um, the set of dollars that we heard for were not routinely collecting, that were for um, interest and depreciation on the facility, so a whole separate set of dollars, that those dollars would then be turned over to the county. Um, uh, and that was, that was work that we had been working on to uh, deal with the historical fact that Alameda County was not, um, uh, meaning the county writ large, was not collecting these dollars because of historical disagreements between who could collect the dollars and uh, and how to do that. So, so we worked through that with a commitment that, um, particularly because the dollars were for uh, county-owned or the depreciation or the assets, I should say, were county-owned assets, uh, that the dollars would go back to the county. Um, since it was completed with this arrangement, the, um, the language that we uh, successfully brokered for this arrangement was that those dollars would then get reinvested in county-owned facilities that AHS operated. Uh, and so that was a question that came up in finance committee, where were we on that particular effort? Uh, because we signed that agreement, uh, as you'll see at the top, back in July of uh, last year, July of 2018. So we endeavored to present an update to you on where we were on that. Um, and uh, I say, Willie, if I could invite you to join us here uh, at the table. Um, so Willie Hopkins is the director of uh, GSA, the General Services uh, Administration, or agency? Agency. Agency for the county. Uh, Willie is a uh, wonderful uh, leader and partner uh, with us and graciously agreed to join us when the conversation came up in finance committee. Uh, and the recommendation was that we provided the full board an, an update. Um, I suggested that we ask uh, um, um, uh, really to join us to uh, present um, uh, the perspective from the county so that we weren't um, in any way misrepresenting anything and we could uh, provide for you a helpful kind of well-rounded context and he again graciously agreed to do that so at this point I want to turn it over to Luis to walk us through the next set of slides I can drive for you if you like uh, and then um, we'll walk you through kind of where, where we have been on this in, term, uh, in terms of identifying uh, capital needs, uh, both emergent and routine, and then uh, his collaboration with the county and uh, have Willie speak to that as well. So uh, I'll just flip and you tell me why. Okay, so in, in this slide here, what we're representing is, uh, and consistent with the methodology and the, the, the agreement that was put together that Del Baker just described at a high level, uh, it specifically uh, dictates how these calculations are made and how these funds are then determined. And so this is something that's led by uh, certainly Kim's team uh, in collaboration with the auditor in the county uh, but what we have finalized and, and, and the challenge with many things that we do within even our just financing structure everything is several years back and so as we're closing out the years and completing our P14s and our audits 
this is what we're at. And so we've closed out FY16, and those dollars are being or have already been transferred over to the county in the sum of about $4.4 million. FY17 is in the process of being reviewed since we're in FY19. And so we're looking at that and, and uh, recognizing that uh, uh, by that time, uh, you know, most of our buildings and, 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 and uh, equipment were in operation, and so therefore the depreciation and all those things were much greater. That calculation is demonstrating to come in at this point almost at 8.8 .8 million or almost, you know, almost $9 million. So when we look at both of those, uh, potentially here in, in the very near future, we'll have approximately $13 million in this, this funding source uh, that uh, per the agreement should be uh, then repurposed and realigned to support some of the needs, capital needs and improvements to, uh, to AHS, uh, you know, operated buildings that belong to the county. And so that's where uh, Willie and I have been working very closely together to define a process. And so if we go to the next slide here, this is at a high level and you have it on your slides, but again, it's just a swim lane diagram. That kind of, <laughs> it, it was, and uh, and we'll, we'll, I'll figure out a way, and we'll figure out a way to make it a little bit more streamlined, but really this was trying to understand all the different, um, you know, categories and the different layers of where these, you know, mechanisms and, and, and uh, the discussions need to occur. And so we were trying to capture that in a way. and and then create some sort of a flow. And the flow was really more than anything to try and align the timing between budget cycles and planning. We wanted to make sure that we as an organization, AHS, is planning for some of these efforts and how we're looking at uh, addressing needs on a fiscal year basis as we're presenting our budget, but equally understanding that Willie and his team have uh, a responsibility to, you know, to determine what they're going to forecast for their, for their given fiscal year. And so we're trying to align both of those and trying to make sure that we have a process to secure not only the necessary approvals, but also you know, ha have, a, have a methodology by which we are identifying and prioritizing projects. Okay, so uh, the next couple slides, okay. the next couple slides uh, you have, it's just a sample. Uh, to give you a sense of some of the things that we have identified. Now, I want to be very clear, this is a list that we have put together as the operators and uh, the individuals accountable for the maintenance and, and, and support of all of our facilities at this point in time under the master agreement. And so we have been identifying and capturing some of these areas and trying to uh, work through those and prioritize some of those leveraging some of our very limited capital funding. And so now we're saying, well, you know, we have this additional funding source. How do we look at starting to tackle some of these areas here? And so that's what these lists represent, broken down by facility, specifically Highland, Fairmont, John George. And we're uh, identifying, you know, at a high level. This is not all inclusive, but we are trying to give you a sense of what we're looking at. And we have rough order of magnitude on every single one of these. But again, obviously, as you all understand, even with our project at Alameda, until you really go out and, and bid and go through the process, it's difficult to nail down a, a firm number. And the next slide here, uh, what, what I'm highlighting is that uh, as we're going through this process, and it speaks to the fact that there is an urgency to get this process completed and to get us you know, in a place where we can have a mechanism by which we can communicate and escalate these types of needs and then we have a process by which we can uh, obtain the necessary approvals and, and secure the funding so we can move forward. We had a, a third-party uh, 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 third consultant come in to do an assessment of all of our 
facilities, life safety assessment, as, as preparation for some of the surveys that we've been going through, but also we're in our window for our triennial survey for Joint Commission. And so we had, uh, as we customarily do, uh, bring someone in to look at all of our buildings from a life safety perspective. There were four items that were identified, and these are actually numbers that we've vetted, that we've obtained proposals, and that we need to move forward with. In fact, for a couple of, the, a couple of these, we've issued POs because we don't have the luxury of time to move forward and get these done. I am hopeful that at some point in this process we'll be able to figure out some sort of a reimbursement mechanism to kind of close that loop. Uh, but these are uh, major systems uh, and, and uh, life safety components that are non-negotiable and it must, must be done. The largest one, uh, a couple of them are fire alarm panels that need to be replaced just based on the age of the infrastructure and we're having some challenges with them maintaining them and keeping them up. Uh, and then the MedGas master panel, which is for our uh, skilled nursing facility out at Fairmont. The largest one, which is over half a million dollars, is uh, some primary HVAC infrastructure for our operating rooms. This is critical because it, from an infection control perspective, we have to ensure that we have the appropriate number of air changes within this environment, number one. But number two, we have to maintain very specific uh, parameters of temperature and humidity. We right now have very diff you know, a, a very difficult time trying to do that with our uh, infrastructure, with our current infrastructure. And so this, you know, we've, we've done a, a very exhaustive uh, evaluation of all this and we are, we've determined that we have to replace not only all of, our, all of our constant air volume boxes, but we also have all of our controls that need to be updated to be able to modulate and maintain these very specific parameters. It would probably help them to know that the ORs are not in the new building. The yeah, so the operating rooms are in the in the Corrette building, in the K yeah. building. <laughs> and so, yeah, so this is not in, I mean, it's, it's, it's the not so new building, because uh, it's, <laughs> it's relatively new. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's relatively it's still relatively new. Yeah, yeah, 15 years old. So we have some, some work to be done in that area. And again, this, there's many reasons we can get into the whole reasons of why we find ourselves in this position. Um, and, and we're mitigating some of those issues, but, uh, but we are where we are. And at this point, uh, we have, and this has been a finding that was surfaced as part of our CMS survey. Uh, it is an area where we are right now very manually trying to maintain some of these parameters, but it's just not sustainable. And we cannot put the organization or our patients at risk without having to do this. So this is very uh, important. All four of these are very important. We have to get them done. And so we're proceeding. But again, it speaks to the urgency of having to get this process finalized. What's taking so long? So we'll, we'll, let, me, let me get through this here, and then I will, I will okay. try to address that here. So <clears throat> on the next slide, um, and, and then I'll ask Willie to join me here, but I just wanted to give you an update on where we're at. So the county, and we've been having these conversations for the last year, so it's not that there's been no dialogue. There's been a lot of conversations back and forth trying to address where we're at and where we stand. Uh, uh, GSA has uh, engaged also with a consultant to perform a facilities condition assessment of all county-owned buildings, not just AHS buildings, but all county-owned buildings that they have under their uh, portfolio. Uh, they've completed that, uh, that uh, facilities condition assessment uh, and are working to finalize the draft document that, uh, that they've put in place. And so we're hoping to get a copy of that to, to see how we could then uh, look at what has been identified from uh, GSAs and their consultants' perspective and how does that then align with some of the pressing needs that we have, which I will tell you that preliminarily and high level, some of those key items that we've identified are also on the list that was identified by the 
uh, GSA or county consultant. And so how we marry those and how we prioritize to make sure that we can start investing some of these dollars. So we're working through that. I know that GSA is finalizing that report. It's still in draft form. They're working with their county council as far as how we can distribute that and share that. And then hopefully once we get that copy, we'll be spending a lot of time reviewing and consolidating those. But uh, Willie, you want to add anything here? Um, no, I think you, you basically covered it. And uh, I think to go back to the core question of what has taken so long, initially when we as a county embarked upon this, we were primarily focused on the facilities that we GSA were, are responsible for, which didn't include the Highland as we knew it. So we were well into the facilities condition assessment when we came back and added these facilities. So that delayed us being able to turn it around. But as um, um, Luis has stated, we've done a quick analysis of his list that he provided us about a year ago and the draft that we have of our facilities condition assessment. And there are a lot of items on there. So the document that we provided you is just a high level summary. But the critical thing there is that it identifies a lot of what his consultant has already completed in terms of identifying what's considered life safety, those critical items that we need to address within the first to the second year. So what this has really done for us ha has not only identified some of the things that have already been identified, but it also takes us out for multiple years. So if there's any good news in this process, the facilities really are not in uh, very, very bad condition. Uh, one of the things on the document you should have in front of you, it gives you what we consider a facilities condition in index. And as long as we're, we're kind of floating um, below a .5, the, the, the facilities are considered to be in good condition. And just so you kind of understand what a facilities condition index is, if you've ever bought a home or bought a car and had it inspected, and it tells you what areas are deficient, that's basically what a facilities condition uh, assessment does. The difference is it gives you what we know as a facilities condition index, which allows you to determine whether the cost of the repair is more favorable than the replacement cost of the facility. So do you want to change the oil in your car? Do you want to put a new engine in it? Right. And that's basically what it does uh, in terms of what a facility condition assessment. So I think, you know, put the bottom line up front, I think we have what I would define as a, a 90, if not a 95% solution. Um, we will sit down again in our next meeting and do some comparisons of our FICA with the list, which we've already begun that. I didn't, I didn't provide that to you, but we've analyzed what uh, Luis had provided us some time ago. So it's just a matter of, because the, the facilities condition assessment we're working off of is a document about this big. So we have to extract from that document the items that are particular to Highland. And once we complete that and put that, uh, our document together and compare it to his, which we anticipate having that by the end of this month, is just a matter of sitting down, finalizing, and, and generating the process for it. And then, and then what's the process from there, assuming we agree generally about health and safety, how can we get this work done as soon as possible? Well, and then that, however you guys normally go about, one of the things we don't want to do is we don't want to interface in the management of those projects. We will leave that up to uh, Luis and his team. Okay. We'll just collectively agree that these are priorities and you're free to go. So really the only challenge is trying to 
uh, see if there's overlap and yes. agreement on health and safety. So I think, I think the biggest component and what we'll need to work through is that process that I shared in the previous slide. It's defining that process because the agreement uh, the, the, between AHS and the county very specifically says that, uh, that any and all dollars utilized for this have to follow all county approval processes. And so, you know, recognizing the county, uh, you know, approvals for any expenditure, it would have to go through the board and, 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 and all that, uh, you know, the, the process that would have to help then be facilitated by, by, you know, Willie and his team. So there has to be some sort of, you know, collaboration here to where uh, unless we somehow uh, work out in this process and receive some consensus and approvals to where you know, this board has the ability to make approvals and then we submit kind of like a reimbursement type of thing for, you know, the county to evaluate and then approve as a whole. So, I, again, this is where we have to define the process mm -hmm. and make sure that, uh, that it works for both of us and that it really allows us some flexibility to move quickly on some of these projects because they are of urgency. Does that answer? I just have to say, I mean, Quite frankly, the list of uh, issues that you provided us are alarming. I mean, you can't mess around with fire. Um, you, you, this is code. This is, mm -hmm. this is what facilities get shut down for. You can't mess around with operation rooms that are not adequately uh, ventilated. I mean, I, I'm not an expert in that area, but mm -hmm. I know that much. So. I just, I, I, I'm really concerned about how long this is taking and want to suggest that we, uh, I just hear some more bureaucracy um, in the way. If we wait till, we, we talked to the board supervisors that we met with uh, earlier this week about doing something in the new year, not knowing that there were these sorts of health and safety issues. I think we got to find something that's much quicker than that. That's what I would propose. Okay. Trustee Hernandez? I'm confused <coughs> about how it is that a fire alarm system isn't something that we would normally be maintaining within our own budget. So help me understand a couple of things. I'm, I'm really just trying to get a picture here. Because I'm feeling a little bit of PG&E, deja vu. <laughs> you know PG&E, has had a long track record and history of being accused of not maintaining its infrastructure. And now we're seeing some of those consequences. And so I'm a little nervous here because, like Lewis, I'm asking myself, how would a fire alarm system not be something that we would maintain and manage out of our regular operating budget? How does that work? Well, so, I mean, again, it's, it's not as simple as just saying that we have, we've been maintaining our systems. We test our systems multiple times a year. Okay. We have a contractor that comes in and evaluates our systems. These are, in the, both of these facilities are original panels that have been with the facility now for decades. And so what's happening is, over time, parts and availability of those becomes very scarce. Right. And so, in the past, when, you know, and, and again, in recent years, I mean, we maintain that. We've had this list, as, as, as Willie indicated, we've shared this list over a year ago, uh, and we've had it on our list for even longer than that. The issue here is that as we're working with our vendor that helps provide that support for those pieces of equipment, 
we're also you know leaning on their expertise to say you know what we have these parts available we have these you know we are able to sort of support and maintain and then as we're making decisions on prioritizing the, again the limited capital funding that we have for many other projects that are equally as important as that for the facility of purchasing a piece of equipment for patient care or other regulatory things we have across the entire system not just here well, we're having to balance that, and so when we're we're evaluating and making an informed decision based on the information we receive from our vendors, that says, you know what, well, this panel is it's it's still everything's still working, everything is good, uh, parts are becoming scarce, but we still have all these parts. We should continue on. We've gotten to the point where they come back and they say, you know what, parts are now really just not, not they're not available, and so we're to the point where we have to replace this panel. So if I might suggest, sir. I'm not an accountant, um, I'll start with that. But my understanding is you have to be very careful about how you classify something as a maintenance item yes. and something yes. as a capital Correct. expenditure. Correct. And that what we're really talking about here are capital Correct. expenditures yes. in buildings that we don't own. Yes. So that, I think that's the context, right? I think it is the context, and I think it's an excellent point, actually. So, so, so it's in these two points correlate. Uh, routine maintenance is one thing. Routine mm -hmm. maintenance is not necessarily designed to, well, it certainly helps to extend the useful life of a system or a piece of equipment or whatever. Uh, it is not designed to have a, you know, a, 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 a tail to continue uh, mm -hmm. out as capital does. You invest in something mm -hmm. and it has uh, years beyond the year in which you made that investment. Uh, to actually uh, amortize and or uh, appreciate uh, that investment. This is a, you know, this is a overhaul of a system that routinely or occasionally has to occur and that then makes it a capital project uh, for those reasons. Now the other part of your uh, point, which is also still valid, you think about this in PG&E context, organizations, uh, what you'd like to have is a situation where organizations generate enough revenue that they are storing away proceeds and have uh, um, a balance sheet that then allows them to reinvest when they need to to renew uh, um, uh, depreciating assets. We don't have that. We're not that. We're not that organization. We have debt and a lot of it. Sure. Uh, and, and we do, not notwithstanding, I don't want to say we don't make any capital investments, obviously we do, but we don't have a fiscal foundation that allows us to both uh, uh, make uh, um, the level of capital investments that you would make, uh, uh, notwithstanding the fact that you don't actually own the asset, which is a whole other piece, uh, mm -hmm. but also then um, to uh, handle the debt obligations that the organization also has. So well, but that's, but, but that's things. the intent of this process. Okay. So okay. we are so taking those dollars that we're, the, the depreciation that we're capturing yeah. from all these buildings and then reinvesting it and creating that fund. Correct. So that's the fund that we have. And so the county, as the owners of the buildings, right, mm -hmm. they, you know, they are now reinvesting in those buildings, and that's the reason why, you know, again, the definition of capital versus operations is that, you know, it will extend the life of the asset itself. Yeah. And so we're looking at reinvesting in, 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 in our facilities, and that's why we have them on this list, and that's what we're working on. So, but I think to your point, we, we've been maintaining them, and we've proceeded with this, and we're not going to slow down. I mean, we, we have an obligation to our, mm -hmm. our patients and everyone that we care for and everyone that's in our facilities, and we're going to make that happen. But I'm just, again, I'm highlighting it here as uh, just an example of we have many things that we have to work through, 
and we want to make sure that we continue to, to you know complete this process so we can we can Right. Thank and, and, you. But to be clear, uh, we're making it happen without the designated budget to do so. So we're doing it with the, mm -hmm. the leap that because we need to do these things, that this process will result in a, a, a process, a clear process by which those funds can actually be uh, reimbursed because the organization doesn't have the cash flow to actually do it. Let me just ask the follow-up just really quickly. So the criteria for this fund, Luis, is going to be around items in buildings that obviously we don't own for which we no longer have any ability operationally to just maintain. They really are investments because we have to start from scratch. We have to start and actually do something like this, replace an entire fire panel or what have you. Can, can you just confirm for me? <laughs> I'm not so saying what, what are the types of things that will be part of this because that's going to be really important to us for a board so so the, there's a again and this is where the work will also be is in that in that crosswalk and in that reconciliation of what the facilities condition assessment said and what we have identified as operators and users of the facility but there are things like uh, your you know it's they're largely and primarily infrastructure we have to replace our boilers we have to replace our fire panels. We have very limited, if any, uh, HVAC or air conditioning in a lot of these areas. Mm -hmm. We have very limited electrical infrastructure. So again, these buildings are original buildings and so all of our panels are full. You want to add anything and because of technology now you have a lot more demand for outlets and things like that. We can't add anymore. Okay. And so not only do we, can we not add, you probably don't want to because of the age of the infrastructure and so so there are just investments that need to be made to solidify the infrastructure of the building to support the operations that we have in place today and which are different than they were two decades ago and depending on the the nature of the type of service that we're providing or the use of the space that we are uh, utilizing for um, current purposes that uh, departs from what it was intended uh, or initially designed to do, mm -hmm. that type of thing could also spur a capital project. So, for example, obviously, a lot of Fairmont um, um, was uh, clinical space, uh, and some of which we have now um, um, converted to admin administrative space. Mm -hmm. And now putting a bunch of staff in an administrative space that was not designed for that purpose uh, creates challenges for things like airflow, um, you know, comfort that is not, you know, about creating accessibility. Yeah, accessibility, a host of other things that really are uh, legitimate uh, tenancy types of uh, uh, purposes. So, so they do run the gamut of, you know, some really core, like behind the walls, under the floors type of things too. You know, uh, uh, reconfiguring spaces uh, uh, that that go beyond just a pure sort of renovation. So I will I will say very quickly here also to that point, which is you know again as I was indicating that to Del Vecchio's point that uh, you know the business and what happens there today is very different than what it was before, and that's driving a lot of this as well. Equally, I will say that I know that GSA and the county have very prescriptive guidelines on how they manage space and how their space is occupied by county employees. You know, there's very prescriptive, you know, who gets what offices and the size of offices and the layout and all these things. And, you know, part of the work and part of this reconciliation that we'll have to do is, again, reinvesting some of these dollars to make these, you know, our current spaces 
habitable for our staff. And because I will say, just bottom line, our spaces currently <coughs> wouldn't even meet those requirements that the county has for their staff. And so we want to make sure that we also invest in those buildings to make it a place where our staff feel comfortable and safe to come to work every single day. And so we got to work towards that too. So it's not just about looking at, at oh, well, this is a primary infrastructure issue that we need to address and we agree, but this is comfort. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a luxury. Not necessarily. It's something that we'll have to reconcile and work through that to make sure that we're investing in the facilities to make them, you know, more conducive for everyone that's using them. Trustee Banerjee, I think you were waiting for Yeah, yeah I, I was just saying that that actually really helped to kind of um, reiterate that it's capital versus because I was looking at it and thinking, is this deferred maintenance mm -hmm. or, you know, deferred expenses and things, and where do we, because of our, you know, multi-year um, fiscal situation, so uh, just understanding which is the critical aspects, which are the ones that are also essential for optimal operation to do, and that 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 will be. But yes, we I just hope that the process can be streamlined so that uh, you know we in your meetings with GSA that 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 can be worked out sooner rather than later. So this is so this is the final slide here, and and, and again I'd welcome, uh, you know, Del Vecchio or, or yourselves. But it really, the, the path here, or the request for you know, as a result of this presentation is, is to get some guidance uh, from you all as far as how we can continue to drive this process forward and to completion, <coughs> most importantly. Uh, and then secondly, it, you know, we have and as part of this, and you know, three years ago, this was all kind of somewhat tied together, but it's. You know, we currently have a master lease with the county that is is equally very old and, and, and needs to be updated. And so this lease is original or I, I don't know from when, uh, but it's, it, it, you know, you can tell by the way it was printed, and, you know, and... and <laughs> right? <laughs> and on top of that, to, to complicate matters, there's like you know, 50 other attachments that go on this master lease that over the years, oh, well, amendment to this, amendment to that, amendment to this, and it's just very challenging. And so one of the things that was discussed about three years ago as part of this process was creating a new master lease agreement between AHS and the county that not only, you know, cleans up some of that language and brings it up to date, but also allows us to have the conversation around how this process gets built into that mm -hmm. and how we continue to maintain and support these facilities. And so the request here is to seek guidance on how we can you know, solicit your assistance to make this, you know, move this forward, advance this effort, and get it across the finish line. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, looking at this sheet here, I think is a you know, start of a way forward. I, I, I like really how you've done this, actually, this life safety um, issues in the first year really focused on that and then critical needs and in the out years and I think there's some conversations that need to happen but I think the biggest change that I would uh, encourage uh, staff in the county to work on is a process change to value quality um, you know we're, we're providing essential services in these buildings and they're services that it's not it can't be negotiable that we do health and safety. We have to do it quickly and uh, effectively. Um, and the, pro the contract, I mean, it can be as long as it can be, but if it doesn't actually allow us to respond 
I'll have to say it. I mean, we've been living for almost a year and a half without a bunch of life and health and safety issues being addressed. And that we have to get out of that cycle. But that's my feedback. I have a question. Yeah. <clears throat> Actually, just a question for Mr. Hopkins, and thanks for being here. Um, in terms of, I want to understand this in the terms of like the context, the bigger context of all the facilities, because you're saying that it's a facilities condition assessment of all the county-owned buildings. Is this something that happens on a regular interval? Is this the first time this is being done? I mean, I'm curious partly, but also I'm wondering about a path forward. What can we expect? How frequently will this be done so that we can get ahead of some of this? So kind of on a process um, piece, yeah. Um, to ask your question, this is a first. Uh, actually, the first document I asked for when I walked in, I wanted to see the current uh, facilities condition assessment, and uh, Alameda County had not done one. The good part about this is this pushes you out 10 years, and to answer your other question, it should be done about every 10 years. But the, what this does is it gives you the base to start your continuous maintenance program that allows you to extend the life cycle of the facility because it tells you, like what I've shown you here, we go out five years. And the detail that the consultants go through is extremely meticulous. They inspect everything from the carpet all the way through the building systems. And it tells you, you know, when the carpet needs to be replaced based on the, the age of the carpet. It tells you based on the model of the boiler, what the life cycle is of that boiler, and you know when that boiler needs to be replaced. So it, it really gets you kind of out of the deferred maintenance if you abide by it. But if you get back into deferred maintenance, you'll be back in this situation again. So that was our, our reason for doing it, was to push the cabinet out of the, the years of deferred maintenance that we have, and also to identify most critically what facilities we should invest in and what facilities we need to dispose of because our facilities are just as aged as some of these are. Thank you. Well, then I guess I'll say thank you for your leadership in coming in and getting this done because I'm sure it was a humongous undertaking and it sounds like we may be somewhat um, caught in the part where you're developing a document this big. But I guess sort of to um, Lewis's kind of what he alluded to, is there a prioritization that happens based on what types of services are being provided in a building as to how kind of quickly we may move forward, being that we're talking about hospitals, and I'm sure many of the county's buildings are sort of administrative or maybe even unoccupied? Uh, yes, actually, and the document that, that I say is too large for me to show you is a little bit different because everything is colored red, yellow, green, mm -hmm. and red are those that have the highest priority and they are prioritized by facility as well as what the system or the condition is that will impact the ability of that facility to provide the service that it does. So if you, when you get to the point that I'm able to share that with Louise, it will share a whole other uh, view of this document for you all to see. Okay, so it sounds like, and this is the last thing I'll say, is that we can at least be hopeful that on a go-forward basis we're, we, we've gotten sort of ahead of this and we can kind of, we won't be in this position of having to wait a year and a half to get no. feedback on our own findings. No. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. A, a question for Louise. Do you, are you comfortable with a 10-year review? Or are you feeling we should have, for some of the facilities where perhaps we're the most exposed, would that need to be more accelerated? No, I, I think, I, not, not necessarily. I mean, I think that the, the frequency of the, uh, of the type of assessment that was conducted, the facilities condition assessment, I think it's appropriate every 10 years. Um, 
it, it, you know, for us, the, the, the issue here is that it being the first time it's ever been done, and I, I can't speak to anything past three years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that we've done a lot of work over the last three years. We've invested millions of dollars uh, in capital uh, to address some of these issues that, again, go way back. And so a, a lot of deferred maintenance that was done, not just in our buildings, in all of our system, and in all of our areas. And so I think it's appropriate. It's just a matter right now of we're in this catch-up mode of dealing with some of these issues. And so the goal is, you know, at the end of the day to ensure that we prioritize some of these key areas, leverage those dollars, get these projects moving forward, um, and, and, you know, get us back in line to, to you know, sustaining and maintaining all of our systems and our infrastructure. So, if I could, no, please. <clears throat> so, uh, I, um, I guess there's there's something I like a lot about this slide, and there's something completely different I like about this handout. Uh, you know, this slide you're kind of giving us a very simple. Here's like these three things, so pardon me, four things that you've got to do right now that we need to pay for, whether it comes from the the the, the county fund or out of our own. It, it's got to be done. Um, what I like about about uh, what, what Willie provided is you're, you're, you're basically saying, you know, here's the four, you know, assets that you have that we that we manage, and here's the total costs that you see that are life safety critical, you know, over the next five years. And so this is kind of an aggregate. Um, Luis, the prior capital needs list, I mean, it, it doesn't, you, you know, you list everything out, but I, it would be great to see this aggregate, you know, I mean, if you agree with this aggregate, you know, then great. Um, he, he probably doesn't know what's what's driving. What's what, right? What, what's right. Driving. So yeah. So that's that's kind of. I have a little disconnect here. So I've got this. Well, I think I yeah. list, and then I've got this. Sure. Uh, our list is just like I said, an inventory of everything we've identified, just as the operators and the people that are maintaining those buildings. That's what that was. And like I said, I I, I hesitated. We had some rough dollars on there, but I removed that because again, they're just rough estimates. Mm -hmm. The the goal, and I think we will get to what you're asking for. After the report's been finalized and after we get that copy and we have the conversations to reconcile the documents, this is what we have, this is what the FCA identified, do we agree, is anything missing, Is anything need to be added, and then we can go ahead and determine what's the priority and how do we move some of these things forward. So we'll be able to get to that point and, ha and have you know that, that, that type of detail, but at this point until we finalize that, that report is finalized and we have that and we can reconcile, we're, we're, we're just... Okay. Dealing with issues as as we know. So my other my other thought though, when I look at the bottom of the of, of the document from the county, 2.6 million in year one for life safety, and you've got less than well really less than a million uh, on your immediate. Those are just examples, right? Yeah. Well, no, no, those are those are those are four items that are underway that need to be done yesterday. No, I know. <coughs> and, but we've got probably 13 million. Correct. Yeah. So, and then, but then in year oh, two, you've got 12.2 million. So, why between could you not track that? Oh, it is cumulative. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I guess, thank you, <laughs> Lewis. You know where I'm going. Right. If we've got about 13 million and we know of 12.2 million worth of things that the county considers to be life safety or critical, 
can't we just roll on those projects? I mean, it seems like that's pretty simple math. Except if those projects <coughs> don't include um, either these or some of those. Right, well. Because there needs to be well, some We don't way know which of those they include. Exactly, that's yeah. what I mean. So there needs to be some way to kind of prioritize. Yeah, but, but if these are life safety and critical and some of these are not, I want to go with life safety and critical first. But it sounds like there's a reconciliation that hasn't happened yet that nice. needs to happen. So by the end of the month, twenty million by the yes. time we sit down together. Well, that's all it means. Well, let me let me let me clarify. The end of October. <laughs> I want to I want to be very clear though. By the end of the month is what you know. I, I know Willie and his team and GSA is, is hoping to have that report finalized and over to us <clears throat> by the end of the month. At that point, we begin the reconciliation and the review of these documents to make sure that yeah. do we feel or have they captured everything in the life safety and critical that we have identified equally as life safety and critical. So we want to do that. And then we also want to talk about some of these other items and then balance that and say, well, you've identified this as critical for the latter years. But for me, dealing with this issue that we have right now in a space that we're occupying, for example, in our skilled nursing facility, we're providing patient care in B1, B2, B3, and B4, and the conditions of those patient rooms is less than optimal and that may not be on that list mm -hmm. but it's on mine so those are the things that we're going to have to work through to make sure so there yeah okay still a lot of work to be done a lot of work to be done and, and if i heard you correctly luis you uh proposed something in the middle of your presentation which i think is very reasonable from my perspective as a trustee and that is uh if we move ahead on life health and safety issues that uh, be reimbursed um, and not, you know, I mean, obviously we have to meet some standard of it being a health and safety issue, but um, it seems like that's a reasonable request that so we're not waiting, uh, taking a, a big risk that we're going to have a big debate about health and safety issues later. Uh, well, that's next year or something. To correct. Well, that's why I think the you know finalizing the process becomes very critical to make sure that not only this board but also the county board of supervisors is in agreement of this is the process by which we're going to handle these things because as Delbecca mentioned earlier and I want to just emphasize the point again, we're proceeding with these four issues. That's you know a million dollars worth of of work that's going to happen here in the very very near future that we didn't budget for or have the dollars for. Yeah. And so we're doing it because we have to, but we're counting and hoping that we'll be able to reconcile that and work through this process leveraging this funding source to to cover that expense. So I just that's what I'm, so I, I just want to make sure that that is captured. So you know, I mean, just to put it bluntly, there's limits on how much we can spend, and if we spend within those limits, um, it seems like there's got to be a process we could that the county could live with at some point to allow us to do that. So. If I could jump in, uh, Mr. Hopkins, if I could ask you your thoughts on this, because I think your, your, your county board and the county administrator will probably take your input uh, and hold it in fairly high regard. Um, so if, you, if you're gonna recommend that, like on these four items, yeah, we should definitely use this fund to pay for those items, it's likely that the administrator and the supervisors will support that. How do you feel about that? Uh, I feel great about it. If you recall, my first comment is I think we have a 90 to 95% solution. And for example, of those four items that uh, Luis has on that slide, three of them are on the uh, facilities condition assessment as critical items. So okay. that's why I feel very confident that when we sit down for our next meeting to do the comparison, and again, we've done 
a great deal of the comparison on Fairmont and Highland. We have not done much on John George because it's still a work in progress that um, I don't think is going to be as difficult as we think it's going to be because I think our list of what we've identified here as life safety and critical is going to, is going to mirror almost the list that he provided in terms of those projects that um, he wants to pursue. So I, I think it's, uh, I think we're close. Right. That was a good question. Yeah. Well, I, I want that's. I mean, this is about collaboration, right? Yeah. Um, we, we've got you on our table. Um, we have some sandwiches, by the way. Actually, I want to. I want to thank yeah. Willie for being here. I know he has. He he was tied up all day, and he has a flight to get on. I think you're pretty oh. soon. Oh, so he needs to. He needs to run. Absolutely. Thank so you. We can order you an Uber. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so uh, you'll get the list end of the month. Uh, how do you? Uh, uh, that's keep putting you on the spot, but mm -hmm. that's what I do. Uh, how do you feel about a January joint meeting between the two boards and having a substantive uh, decision to make uh, based on on this process? Well, we've had some dialogue about that, and I believe by the January board, I think we we should be pretty close to there. And I do agree with uh, Luis also on the existing agreement. I believe it's the 1999. Yeah, uh, but I do oh, yeah, well, extremely about ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. And there's some things it says we're supposed to do, then it says we're supposed to do if we want to do them, but we can <coughs> delegate. And I think we need to work through items like that and, and have a clearly defined uh, line of responsibility. So uh, we've also had dialogue about completely redoing the lease agreement, and I fully right. support that idea as well. That's great. Um, see, what, one, one big giant project at a time, right? Yes. <laughs> Did anyone have any other questions for either? Thank you, Thank you both. You. Really, I really appreciate you coming. This this feels solid, and um, yeah, feels great. Have a great evening. Have a safe flight. All right. Thank All right. you. Thank you, Willie. Did that answer or give you a sufficient enough? You know, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, with your permission, we'll move on. Yeah. Okay. So the next. Oh, well. Did you need a vote on this? Oh, no, oh, no it's information. Yeah, it's information. So the next one uh, was similarly, well, uh, um, I forget, I think we proposed this come to the board because what has been happening uh, is uh, there are various elements of um, things happening in the behavioral health space that we've been talking about in various um, uh, board committees. So uh, there was some discussion in finance committee around uh, the operations of behavioral health and then there's stuff in QPSC that we've been talking about as it relates to the uh, surveys and um, adverse events and findings we've had there. And so we thought uh, probably, and with uh, Joe's um, um, uh, support that it was good to kind of bring a more thorough uh, or, um, uh, update to the entirety of the board. And certainly at that time, too, we were anticipating that CMS um, uh, was going to come back and visit us imminently, and uh, that proved quite fortuitous because they are here this week. So um, we have kind of a multi-pronged approach, uh, and I'm going to turn it over to Luis first, and then a couple of people are going to give you various dimensions of what's happening uh, uh, in the behavioral health services, and then we'll happen to take any questions. Just want to bring you up to speed, so Luis. Excellent. So thank you, like So again, as as part of the discussions, I, I believe it was not only at multiple discussions at QPSC, but also at Finance Committee last month, and so or a couple weeks ago. Um, 
we were talking about wanting to make sure we provided you an update. There's been a tremendous amount of work that's gone into John George here recently as we've been preparing and dealing with some of the uh, challenges that we've had in recent past. And so uh, we'll provide you an organizational update, nursing operations update, medical staff oversight update, regulatory update, and then uh, again, we'll wrap things up with you know what, what the work that's happening here on our behavioral health contract and moving forward for long term. Uh, as you all know, we've had multiple transitions. Uh, we had uh, our CAO that transitioned um, a couple months ago, uh, uh, took the position and went back to the county uh, uh, as the Director of Behavioral Health Services. And so that left that, that was the first vacancy that we had. And so at that point, I, I stepped in as, as uh, the, you know, the kind of the interim administrator to continue to provide oversight and ensure that we're advancing uh, a lot of the efforts that we had going on, recognizing that some of our previous survey visits had occurred back in, in March and July, and so we were working actively on a lot of this, uh, a lot of these efforts. Um, then shortly thereafter, the, the, the uh, director of nursing uh, transitioned as well, uh, took a position with another health system down in Texas, and so he uh, moved on. And so at that point, I said, okay, there's, you know, I, I can only do so much here. Uh, so then I, 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 you know, phoned a friend and, and uh, I, you know, solicited uh, certainly the, the support and assistance from uh, Janet as our CNE, as well as, as Tam Beer and his entire team, or our quality team, and then Felicia really providing some support from a physician perspective. So kind of this, this three-legged stool here, we, we, we worked on, on advancing and moving some of those efforts forward. And so we do have an interim leader that's coming in uh, on, on November 11th uh, as our director of nursing, recognizing that uh, Again, Janet does have another full-time job of overseeing all of our acute care services and our, our nursing practice. Um, so we'll, we'll have that uh, moving forward. And then as we were going through this effort, um, and I was evaluating and managing the operation, uh, I, I felt that I needed to make yet another change to help us continue to move uh, the organization in the direction that it needed to go in. And so I equally uh, transitioned some of the operational leadership at the unit level and brought in or have interim leadership from uh, in-house. In, in uh, they, they just kind of stepped up into a different role uh, on the interim to really move things uh, forward re relative to you know, the, the plan of correction and some of the activities that we had in place. So I, I continue to provide all the uh, administrative oversight and then uh, Janet uh, is, is really working closely with our uh, chair of psychiatry to make sure that we're advancing clinical care within, within the facility. Uh, so again, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of this, I can't say it enough, we, we wouldn't have been able to do this if it wasn't for our quality team and the support that they, they gave us. And so I know Tambir had his entire staff there in full force uh, with so many other competing priorities and many things happening, but somehow uh, he himself, along with all of his team, uh, were there every single day supporting the staff, guiding the staff, auditing our records, auditing our performance, and really making sure that we had continuous improvement at all times. So really couldn't have done it without him and his team. Uh, and then obviously, uh, you know, Janet and, and Felicia who have really been supporting a lot of those efforts. Next slide. This is uh, an org chart that I wanted to share with you all, uh, reflecting everything I've just described. Everything in purple is individuals or, or are individuals that are currently acting in an interim capacity. Uh, the reds are our vacancies that we have within uh, the facility at this point in time. So again, as I mentioned, we'll plan to fill that director of nursing position here on the 11th of November, and then the interim leadership in the units will continue that way until 
until further notice. And, and I'm continuing to evaluate that, and that will be part of our assessment from a long-term perspective, how we're going to move forward. So now I'll have Janet kind of speak to all the, give you a sense of, of, of the Herculean effort that went into moving this uh, forward. And uh, this just captures kind of the highlight. Thanks, Luis. So uh, just to start, I, I just want to preface it with we could not have done this if the staff at John George had not engaged. And so um, this week has been phenomenal in terms of a CMS survey um, because of the engagement of the staff. I've never seen staff crowd around a surveyor and say, we want to show you what we, we do here. We want to show you how proud we are. So um, all the efforts that we've done as leaders would not have meant anything if the staff had not engaged. And so I just wanted to put that out there. The beginning of this really was uh, town hall meetings with staff. We understood very early on that they really didn't have any idea of what an immediate jeopardy was, what they were facing in terms of regulatory issues. Um, so six town halls, the, the three of us in addition to um, uh, other leaders, really kick those off to help them understand, here's what we're facing, here's what we need to, to get done, and we need your help. Out of those town halls came work groups uh, where we identified the main issues in the plan of correction. Um, those work groups really drove from the ground up rather than the top down how we were going to do the work moving forward. So it was done um, with our support, but really by the staff for uh, the different departments. And that's really how uh, we gain that buy-in and that sustainability because it was their idea, they're doing the work, and they needed to drive how the work was done. Um, uh, daily rounding all, the, all, all units. Um, I'm there, I've been there, I think, for the last month uh, full-time. It was great to come back to Highland today, <laughs> I have to tell you. Um, but um, just that rounding daily, they call me Ms. J over there. And uh, so um, that just gives me that sense of comfort that they're comfortable speaking up, they're comfortable coming up to the office. Um, they talk about a lot of different things that I don't think they've been uh, allowed to talk about before in terms of what their concerns are. There are a lot of long-term staff there who are there through the thick and the thin because they care so deeply about the patients. And so just that daily rounding, um, I think it's such a good feeling to have that relationship that they know us, we know them. Um, one of the things that we heard early on were uh, you came back. You said you'd come back and you came back. And so um, I don't think that they thought, they thought we were going to blow in there, do the town halls and then basically pull out, and that didn't happen. And so they continue to say, you're still here, you're still coming back. And so that's a, a very gratifying feeling. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot of work. Tendru will talk about more, but um, we talked about a lot of different tools and streamlining and uh, things that, that work well for them. Um, during the survey this week, uh, even with Epic, and it was bumpy for them, they did not have the boots on the ground training, and they didn't have the engagement early on from, from uh, their leaders engaged. Um, staff were able to navigate that. They were able to speak to the processes. Um, we got uh, the surveyors to go one-on-one -on -one with the nursing staff that were the primary staff rather than have leaders do any of the talking. Um, and they were really able to speak to all the work that we've done. So that spoke volumes that they weren't just parroting what we wanted them to say. They were able to navigate through and say, no, this is how we do it here. So um, seclusion rooms did not come up once. Um, but they were on the units watching the seclusion rooms being checked every 15 minutes. Um, so I think they were very comfortable with that and it did not become an issue for us. So, hand it over to you. Oh, I have another slide. 
I think you did it all without looking at it. I think so. <laughs> you didn't say next slide. I was so captivated by what you were saying. I was like, okay. So just quickly, and I think uh, Tanger will touch on this, um, weekly quality assurance, so QAPI meetings, which initially um, I would come to, and then I would continue to say, this is like Groundhog Day, because every time we went, it would be like, what? And that was from the leaders. And I think that's when Luis realized we need to make some changes at the leadership level and we need to allow uh, the staff that are doing the work to engage in the QAPI meetings. And so thank you, Luis. I think it was um, really changed the dynamic when that happened. Um, we trained all of the uh, emergency department uh, staff there to do mini swallow evals. A lot of patients, because of the medications they're on, have swallow issues. They were waiting up to 72 hours to get a formal swallow eval so that they could have a regular meal or you know, be moved off the one-to-one -one status. So we trained all the staff. It's a simple three mils of water. If you can swallow it, you're okay. Um, you don't have to wait for that three days to get the formal eval. So they would come off the one-to-one. -one. They were able to have a normal meal, and it really took the load off of um, staff doing the one-to-ones plus the speech therapists as well. Um, the su support from the Sapphire team was huge. They were there uh, for the last two weeks, really elbow to elbow, changing processes that were not baked and um, put in place in the initial launch. Um, they did a lot of rework. They did a lot of elbow support. Um, they were we couldn't have done it without them. They were phenomenal in their in their support. Um, we did badge access for the seclusion room. So I think everybody is aware that last time the finding was um, engineering opened the room because the bathroom was out of service. Patient went in, nursing came by and did the right thing and went, oh, the room's open, and they locked it. CMS came by and said, can you show us your seclusion room, and out popped the patient. And so um, that uh, got to a lot of discussion on how do we manage who has the keys, why don't we put the keys in the Pixis? They didn't like that idea. So we said, why don't we just do badge access? So they just badge into the seclusion room, and then uh, they're able to access it that way without all these keys floating around. So that um, was well received by staff as well. Um, and then staffing model, we uh, very quickly understood that they were very short of staff. And so we uh, looked at how many positions are vacant, how many positions do we need to do core staffing. Um, it was upwards of 70 positions that we needed to put into play to make sure that we beefed up the staff to meet the plan of correction. That's ongoing uh, work, but we have a short-term and a long-term plan for that. But um, we were very uh, well-staffed during the survey. Um, people wanted to come to work. They didn't call off sick. They didn't avoid the surveyors. Um, so that, again, that spoke volumes about how how passionate they are about their their healthcare. Now it's your turn. Any questions? Anybody has? I uh, I can uh, move on to the medical staff if there are no questions. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> sorry. I have one question. Janet, tell me how you guys discovered the short staffing and then how you came to the number. We'll say that one more time. Short staff by 70 FTE. Well, part of it was uh, so we added staff. So there is a there are three what are called medical health or mental health specialists. So one just rounds all the time just to make sure that the milieu is safe, and then one guy checks every room every 15 minutes. And then uh, so they would have those two anytime they had a one to one for swallow or suicide precautions or whatever. They would pull those people and use them as their one-to-one -one because they really just didn't have the bodies to do that. So as soon as you pull them, no one's watching the milieu. So we determined, and Luis approved, that we could add uh, an additional third MHS, that the two rounders are untouchable. You never, ever pull them. 
that was a, a, a pretty significant learning curve for them because they were so used to pulling that staff and, and maintaining that they were still hitting ratio. So we did that and then any staff that are, or any needs for a one-to-one, -one, um, we did kind of a historical data analysis of how many do we have every day and then budgeted for that number as well. So that's where we got to the, uh, some of them are RN, some of them are mental health specialists. Mm. But, um, so it sounds much worse than it is because of the ads to keep patients safe. So, um, you know, those are, those are things that um, we just got permission and, and Luis granted permission, just do what's, do the right thing, so. 70, those seven zero, no, FTEs. Yeah, so that just kind of tells you how stretched yeah. the yeah. staff have yeah. been and that we're being on site, place. like you all were for, I mean, it's your leadership ethos that really kind of um, did the ground up work and uh, helping them to kind of take ownership of that and to be affirmed in what they were going through. Right, and staff said that, but you know, that isn't always the case. You know, if you ask staff every time, what do you need, it will be more staff. Sometimes that's true, sometimes that's not true, sometimes it's about efficiencies, um, but it, it was the case here. And then we added uh, extra layers to keep everybody safe, staff and patients safe, and that's where we got to that. So um, we changed some job descriptions around a little bit so that the MHSs um, had to have a degree, they had to have multiple years of experience. It was almost impossible to recruit someone at an MHS level with with a bachelor's degree. And so we looked at how do we set up a training program, we can bring in CNAs with a year's experience in uh, an acute care setting or a, a SNF setting, and then train them to be MHSs and take that degree component away. So um, that's in the works right now. I will say that the, uh, the union partnership and engagement has been fantastic. So um, there has been no pushback. We have been able to take away 12-hour shifts, um, bring schedules with eight-hour shifts, and they haven't, they haven't balked at all. 12 hours is too long to me to be in that setting, and then we're asking you to work overtime on top of that. So um, nobody pushed back on taking away the 12-hour shifts. So. What was the financial impact on 70 FTE? Well, it was it was so so just to, just to qualify that uh, so the total number of vacancies was was the total number of vacancies after we added the additional staffing based on the assessment that was done turned out to be 70. When you do a comparison of of what was budgeted to you know include the ads, the the incremental ad was only about 28 FTEs and 30 FTEs, so that was uh, roughly about 3.5 million. So budgeted and posted, but not actively filled, and then you know, Lewis's uh, permission to add on top of that. So yeah. So I guess I'm reacting to this with, of course, it's great that you have solved these issues. I'm, I'm very happy. And yet, I've sat at these meetings and have seen staff come from John George just really pleading for assistance and help. And they really made a lot of desperate statements in front of us. Mm -hmm. And to think that it took whatever to actually hear that is a, is a bit of a concern. I'm, I'm not criticizing the effort to go in and remediate. I'm not. I'm just 
asking myself out loud, why didn't we believe or take into account those issues when they came to us? And I mean, this entire room was full. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm going to get really emotional here. To think about how people suffer on a job, taking care of people that most of society does not care about. And then months later to find out that we really needed to turn around and listen to them. I'm concerned about that. Let's find a way back to the discussion in QPSC this afternoon. Let's find a way to um, really listen to the folks that are closest to our patients when they come to us with something like this, to not be dismissive or, or afraid to read, just engage with them and ask them what's really going on. Because I, I, I'm just thinking about all those people that stood here and how frightened I was. So I, I, will, I will say that you are you're absolutely correct. And, you know, at the end of the day, I take full ownership for that. I should have um, stepped in a little deeper. Uh, I should have gotten a little bit more involved. Uh, and, and uh, you know, as, as they say, trust but validate. And... Um, uh, so again, I, I didn't do that soon enough, and so when I did, uh, I can assure you that uh, that we took very swift action. Uh, I, I personally met with uh, the union uh, representative, as well as all of the union uh, our, our stewards, our in-house stewards, all of the ones that were here present. Met with all of them. I've had multiple meetings with all of them, and um, you know just we really work together to get us to where we are today. And uh, I, I have to say that uh, now I'm, I'm very, you know, I can equally say that uh, um, all of them, uh, not some, all of them and, and, and beyond staff have come up to me to, to just, you know, say thank you and, and uh, we really appreciate everything you guys have done and, and uh, you know, you've, you've listened to us and, 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 and absolutely and, and rightfully so. And so, Bottom line, uh, we do. Uh, we own it. I own it, and and uh, you know it, it has shaped how I approach uh, you know different things now and 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 uh, circumstances and and comments and things that are shared. So we'll continue to work through that. But uh, your points well taken. Thank you for taking ownership of that. Thank mm -hmm. you. I'm sure it's not yours alone to take, but but thanks. I guess just to help me. It, with the context, what is the total number of staff at John George? Total number of budgeted staff, uh, in, in, including the new ad, is about 250. Including the 70, or not including the 70? Total, 20. Including, including the 70. 28. Including the 28 ad. Okay. So what we had budgeted plus the ad, about 250. Total. So they're about 10% under understaffed. A little bit more. Yeah, I mean, total, yeah. And John George has been because of all the ligature and this and that and that. I mean, repeatedly in QPSC, we've talked about how strained they are, mm -hmm. how stretched they are. Just plea after plea after plea. Um, so 
And um, so it's good that it happened and it needs a certain level of leadership to be able to go and listen. And I think the kind of ethos that, you know, you all bring in, uh, Dr. Tunabeni, Tanir, uh, um, and you all, um, and, and having Janet be, uh, be on the scene for a month, like you know them, you see the situation on the ground and you know how much, but it's been, it had been said many, many times, so we'd heard it. I have another question um, about the chief administrative officer position. Is that a clinician or not necessarily? I'm just curious about the qualifications there. No, it's it's not a it's not a requirement for that to be a clinician. Okay. We have a uh, comment about that uh, at the end here, so I can speak for that. And in follow up to Trustee Chuquan's uh, comment about the interface between quality and finance, I think this is exactly highlights that. Uh, uh, Tanvir's team has been extraordinarily busy on causal investigations over this past year. Today we've done 20, or his team has done 26 of them. 17 of them have generated out of John George. That's 65% of the causal investigations for this organization. So I would say that that $3 million, while it hurts, is probably well worth it. Well worth it. You know, the thing that... The, 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 there are a lot of things have been said that I... Uh, that are really valuable here, but um, the comment, if I heard it right, that staff was not aware of the seriousness about the CMS investigation. If, did, I, did I hear that right? Yeah, I mean, I, they, they knew that they had been surveyed twice. Um, I don't think uh, there was clear understanding of, of what it means if they come back and, and we have not fixed things and we have not started to drive things from the bottom up. So, yeah, so just, I think the town hall is just so provided clear. What I take from that is that there was not a collaborative spirit culture there where we were asking everyone to be part of um, a major crisis. And they want to be, it sounds like, you know, the other thing, I, I don't want to read between them, but yeah. So the sense was that once you shared that with them, they engaged. They did. There, there's, there's the piece for me. This yeah. is about how we're managing and we're working together as a team. I agree. Yeah, I guess I still feel concerned, I think, to Maria's point, and, and maybe it's more just in terms of like how do we make sure we don't ever end up here again in terms of the, the staffing shortfall. If I'm thinking about it right, it's like 25% under, under staffed essentially. And, and I know that there's a lot of regulations about the ratio of nurses to patients and things like that. So it seems to me that this is not a simple, it wasn't a simple math. This was something where you got in, you dug in, and you realized some, some practices that have developed over time that have somehow obscured the view. I mean, that's what it's sounding like to me. So I guess for me, I don't know if there's a formal root cause analysis or anything that's being done on sort of the point of how, how did we have a blind spot on this? Um, because it does feel like, I mean, not that we can blame, you know, everything on one thing, but it does feel like if we're being audited and having these findings that perhaps if the staffing was where it needed to be, then, then we could have, this could have been avoided. So I'm just curious as to, I, I, I see that we're moving quickly to fix it, and that's the most important thing, but I guess there's a piece for me with how many facilities we operate and how many units we have. Is, was, is there some learning that can come from this about making sure that we don't have this in another area? So I, what, what I will say is, uh, again, at, at Bottom line, this is all a result of we just didn't have the right leaders in place. 
and at, at, at various levels. And so it, it feeds and it deals with the culture that you clearly indicated. Um, you know, the fact that uh, there was limited or lack of transparency of what was happening and therefore lack of engagement and then lack of everything else. And so that's what we, we you know, we identified that very quickly. And truly, the fact that we have transformed the, the environment, the culture, in such a very short period of time speaks to the fact that, I mean, truly, there was no magic sauce here. It was just we explained to the staff at every level through all these town halls, this is what was identified, this is what it means, this is what's you know, uh, causing the issue, and then engaging them in work groups to say, how do we address that? You deal with this every day, how do we address that? And making them part of the process then uh, very quickly. Uh, and, and not just that, but then as, as you know, obstacles were identified, we very quickly broke those down and addressed them. And the fact that they started to gain at that point confidence and credibility that, oh, okay, we're actually, we're actually gonna make a difference here, uh, started really you know, trickling across the entire organization or the entire facility. And um, you know, they have all stepped up. You know, those interim leaders that we have in place um, have really taken uh, great charge in, in, in working closely with their staff, continuing to solidify and support some of those processes and, 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 and efforts. And we're, we're, we're seeing the benefits of that. And, and it's evidenced and will be evidenced by, you know, the, the, the results of the survey that's been going on all week. And I will, I will share with you all that, uh, and I don't know, I'll take a little bit of, of Tanvir's thunder here, but, you know, even the surveyors themselves have verbally indicated the, the, the difference in the environment and uh, what they feel themselves as surveyors when they used to be on their unit versus what they're seeing and sensing now to just their direct observations of the care delivery itself. So, so Luis, is this the playbook then <laughs> that you could use for future <coughs> instances where there might be this concern from staff about, gee, we've got issues around, you know, staffing levels or resources or something. It feels like this is a really big lesson within our community. And I'm, I'm glad you're championing this, but the really important piece is to now take that playbook and use it over and over again so that we successfully address these things. So I just want to encourage that. Thank you. I but will but it's, it's a playbook for the future too. I, I, so again, uh, you're just full of all rights. <laughs> as always. Uh, you're absolutely correct. And, and uh, bottom line, to me, I, again, truly, it's, it's, to me, I will say that it's fundamental. And, and so we are working through this and not just, not just with you know, what we've you know, learned and what we've done and what we're continuing to do at John George, but over the last couple months, we've been doing the same thing in all of our areas. I know that last time you heard from our housekeeping department. Well, I will tell you that our housekeeping leaders have been working actively and engaging with the staff and, you know, working through the process of, you know, the rebid and, and what needs to happen to ensure that we have the appropriate coverage across the facility. And so we're doing that in all of our different areas. This is the model. This is the expectation. This is what we're doing to move our organization forward.
actually <clears throat> I want to echo what, what uh, Trustee Hernandez said and, and also and I'm glad you brought up the housekeepers that were here last time because we, we set the stage <coughs> for people to come and say it ain't right, it's not working, it's broke and board you better do something about it and we have, since we don't walk do rounds every day. Um, we, we, we have to just trust the input we receive from our, our leadership team and what we hear. And so um, it, it's going to be hard not to, um, you know, uh, moving forward, if somebody comes down here and says, yeah. it ain't right, it's going to be hard to say, well, that's, that's a, you know, they're not crying wolf. You know, I mean, so it's, I think it's really important <coughs> that this kind of you know vigor be used when this comes up and i know that there's controversy around rebidding i know that there are expectations changing as we become more of a network as we create system um, and so i know that some people will come and complain about things that we can't fix or shouldn't fix but um, it really uh, it's going to cause us to have more scrutiny when when we hear that um, so i'm glad i'm glad to, again to have you take take responsibility that we have and just, you know, that's, um, I'm glad you're applying this to other portions, other sections of the organization. Well, I, I want to be very, I, I mean, I certainly want to address that and I want to be very clear. I mean, I, one of the things that's important for me is truly the credibility and, and I want you to trust that we're doing the right thing. And if, if you're going to question what we're doing or not doing when someone comes and speaks in the podium is concerning. So, I mean, we got to be very careful with that. Yeah. I mean, we're doing everything, you know, we can to continue to support and sustain the organization, support our staff, support our patients. And yes, I mean, we, we have an example here of where we failed. And, and we need, we, we've corrected that, but we've equally communicated and we have reinforced the expectation with all of our leaders. And, and I speak for myself and as the accountable individual to ensure that operations are, are, are being managed. I, I will tell you that this is fundamental for me and I will make sure and I have made sure that my entire team really follows this process to engage our staff, to engage our teams, to understand what's happening. It's not gonna prevent people from coming to talk because change is difficult. Yep. Yep. But I just hope that you you all would, would, would balance that and would understand that you know, we're, we're going to look at things very closely. We're going to make sure that, you know, that uh, everyone is being heard and that we're making the best decision, most importantly, for the patients we serve and for everything that we're doing as an organization. All right. Good frame. So we uh, finished the medical staff oversight. Uh, this, this is the work of... Uh, 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 Felicia and uh, Tanuj, uh, really, and... Uh, Basically, Tanuj is our interim chair there, and he has been extremely engaged from the very uh, beginning. And Felicia had worked with him uh, on, on really ensuring uh, like the job description and the roles of the hospitalist as internist. Uh, I mean, the problem with the behavioral health patients when they come to our psychiatry emergency services, they don't come like, like here, you know, they, you have a trauma code or you have uh, an ED. Uh, team taking care, mm -hmm. they come, uh, uh, you know, on restraints, and, uh, and if they have medical illness, a lot of the signal is lost through the noise of, of the behavioral. So that's where we really focused on 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 defining uh, how the work of the of the internist is going to be integrated and uh, be a co-management structure for 
for the patients who are in the PS. And at times, the number of patients is, is extremely high. It reaches sometimes, I don't know, like 50 we can reach, or even more than that. And, and uh, so that's, that's how we, we have really uh, worked with them, to work with the nurses and, uh, and with each other and communicate and try also to identify the high-risk medical patients. Uh, we are also planning to expand the hospitalist hours uh, within the psychiatry emergency service while maintaining the same inpatient uh, hospitalist coverage and the future incorporation of the hospitalist in the daily uh, PS morning huddles. Uh, and then the physician leadership uh, uh, rounding on the floor, they have like the daily chart reviews. They are looking at the charts uh, with, uh, with the scrutiny, ensuring that all corrective action plan or standard work is integrated. And if there is any failure of, uh, of measures or any abnormal uh, vital signs, they are escalated and acted upon immediately. And uh, there will be weekly huddles for the chair of psychiatry to promote like more communication and education between the physicians who are psychiatrists and internists about the integrated plan of care and between uh, with the nursing leadership. And then again, a number of policies and protocols were uh, reviewed and and uh, updated uh, to ensure uh, more more active uh, medical care for the patient at John George. Sorry, that's Sorry. the next slide. Yes, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. All right, so um, as you know, CMS uh, is here already for the full validation survey, but for some of the reasons already mentioned, I think it's important to take a moment to review the history, if nothing more than to remind us of our resolve, of where we never want to be again, and also a reminder of when we have the right culture and we tap in to the right people the possibility for transformation that exists within our community. So this was all sparked by a complaint, um, a sentinel event that occurred at John George. When the severity of the sentinel event is so high, in um, addition to the repeated um, events prior to it at a facility, CMS makes a determination that not only are they going to do an investigation, they're going to come to a full valid a complaint validation survey. That occurred March 26th to 28th. The findings from that survey um, were then uh, required for us to submit a plan of correction. Uh, they came, CMS came with the team to revalidate whether or not we were able to um, perform or execute on that plan of correction on July 8 to 11. Most of the deficiencies identified between March 26 and 28 um, centered around um, securing the safety of the environment, staffing, um, conservatorship, and patient rights. So when they came back from July 8 to 11, they determined that we had failed to execute on the plan of correction that we said we would. Um, when the severity of the findings are high enough, they are called conditions of participation. We have to meet the conditions of participation to um, maintain our certification with CMS. So the areas where we fail to meet the conditions of participation include nursing services, um, and you heard a lot of the work that has gone on there, patient rights, um, particularly um, at John George, as you can imagine, a particularly vulnerable population, uh, this is a key area. Um, quality assurance and performance improvement was cited um, because of the failure of the facility to execute on the plan of correction. And governing body um, was cited because of their concerns with the leadership overseeing this. Um, although when they came to do that survey on July 8 to 11, 
they survey Highland, Fairmont, and John George, the plurality, um, all but one finding, was around John George. On August 22nd, um, we received a 40-page uh, 2567. That is a testimony uh, or a testimony of all the deficiencies that the surveyors identified. We had 10 days to come up with a plan of correction that would satisfy CMS, um, but wouldn't overstretch us and our ability to execute such that when they came back, they saw a failure of execution. That 10-day period was extremely intense uh, and included the Labor Day period, um, and that was, and that was uh, when we had the town halls, the work groups. Our plan of, uh, uh, we successfully submitted the plan of correction on September 3rd. It was a 40-page plan of correction with over 250 pages of appendices. Um, um, the quality team worked with the operational leaders to work uh, to map out the workflows and every single citation. And then the work groups um, identified the new citation. Uh, we came up with auditing strategies, education strategies, um, as well as um, uh, um, uh, uh, process flows education and, and all that. So that was over 250 pages. Oh, and then updated policies and procedures to reflect the changes that we had made. Um, that plan of correction was accepted very swiftly by CMS. It's the shortest turnaround I've seen in two weeks. Not only does the local department, uh, local state uh, review that, it was also accepted by CMS. We began a full-blown um, execution of our education, training, validation, um, and uh, we are very grateful to the Sapphire team to work with um, uh, operational uh, leaders and quality to ensure um, that the uh, workflows were uh, calibrated to meet our plan of correction. Um, what I want to say, um, because you've heard much of the work that's going to be described in the next slide, is that what changed is the armor came off, leaders were vulnerable, we dealt with the truth of what needed to be dealt with, and we tapped into the resilience and the power of the frontline staff. That is what is needed. And I'm extremely grateful to our operational leaders who allowed the quality team to collaborate with them and let us in to have those conversations. And to the leaders who are not afraid to have those conversations. And I believe, so CMS arrived initially with 15 people on Monday. That expanded to nearly 20. This is the biggest survey this organization has ever seen. They were at four sites at once. Um, they arrived on 8.30 on Monday. By 9 a.m., they opened their conference. By 10 a.m., we had command center set up at four different sites, and the survey was in full-blown mode. We have, um, and um, I'm the type of person I don't, uh, I, uh, I will not share with you what is not factual. Um, and so what I can tell you is that most days, they finish their surveys early. I have been informed that they will come tomorrow at 8 a.m., that they will likely exit early. And based on my historical experience, these are good signs. So the plan of correction, um, what I'm going to focus on here is not what we submitted, but what I believe needs to now continue for us never to be back at where we were in March. You've heard about some of the leadership changes. And I know that um, uh, Luis and Janet will work on that um, to make sure we have the right leaders in place. Um, the staffing you've already seen, 
Um, there was a hire of a new clinical educator, educator, which I think will be very valuable to ensure that the nursing staff have become, are empowered with the tools they need to be successful. Patient rights and nursing services. Um, I am excited that the leaders who are currently in place in the front lines are invested in owning the success of the processes they help engineer. Um, and that needs to continue because Epic will, Epic and changes and processes constantly need to be calibrated to the changing dynamics. Otherwise, we will not progress our care. So I think the quality improvement and performance improvement activities will be really critical. We already have weekly multidisciplinary meetings. That has already um, been transitioned to Dr. Tanuj Siddhartha, who has been a wonderful leader there. Um, the only clinical leader uh, in his position who maintained, who, who was there since March. So I'm very grateful to him, um, and he's going to take over that Quapi meeting. Um, we will. We have hired um, on the quality department a behavioral health nurse who has experience as a surveyor and in the regulatory field. So I'm very excited to have her on the team, and she will work intimately with John George, and she's starting on Monday. Um, and as we are gearing up for our TJC triannual survey, um, I am sure that this is that plan of correction was not just a 40-page document with 250 appendices. I believe it is a roadmap for transformation, coupled with the incredible energy that we have developed, and I am really looking forward to forwarding them. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. I know that you did a presentation um, a few weeks ago on yeah. leadership and vulnerability and being able to take the armor off. Would you be able to do that across sites um, throughout uh, Alameda Health System? So that gives people the, uh, the sanction, like the, to have the agency to be vulnerable because it, you, you need to be in a place of strength sometimes to be able to do that when you, your position um, is insecure, you don't want to display all your vulnerabilities. So I think that creating that safe space where people can be doing that and how essential it is for us to build that culture that allows that. So that, that, that what you learn through all of this work, that not just at John George, but you've been working, doing and the, you know, the team, uh, it would be great for us to hear that too and for the uh, staff elsewhere. I'll leave you with, with this one line from uh, Brene Brown, who, does, who writes about, Jared lead a lot about the power of vulnerability. She, has, she said, um, vulnerability sounds like truth and looks like courage. Mm -hmm. Get in the arena, right? That's right. Yep. Wow. That's yeah. nicely stated. Um, I actually, I think I may have made a mistake here. I, I, I may have wanted uh, Kim to share this information, but uh, we pulled it together, and it's, uh, it's information we've already talked about, so I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, but this is just to give you a, uh, an update as we share with the, I believe we share with the Finance Committee, and, and Joe mentioned some of this earlier. So where we are on the fiscal side, so you recall that um, uh, we have done a, um, a um, 
contribution margin analysis for behavioral health and identified a significant shortfall uh, in terms of revenue uh, um, against the, the expenses, even at that time, for the service line. And uh, that triggered a host of things uh, wrapped into the budget. And as you know, uh, one of those things was that Toyon did an assessment where they uh, reached a different conclusion. Uh, we looked at their analysis. Uh, we endeavored to work with the county to reconcile the discrepancies between our analysis and theirs. Uh, we believe that uh, they were easily explainable, if you will, um, um, that the, the only uh, the, the drivers for the differences in the amount that they had, which at the end of this for us was about a $20 million difference between our assessment and theirs, uh, was basically the approach and the assumptions that they took versus the ones that we took. And neither was right or wrong and could either easily be reconciled if we agreed to an approach. For example, half of it was um, uh, if you, the, the, the uh, Toyan assumed that we have a contract, a mental health contract for these services at John George at the county, uh, with the county behavioral health services, and they said, your contract has $30 million in it, you're only uh, booking, or 37 or so million dollars in it, you're only booking $27 million in, uh, that you'll get back. The 27 is sort of based roughly off of what we've actually collected in the past years, but they're saying, but you have the opportunity to get it all. And we said, well, there's a simple solution. If you're gonna guarantee me that I'll get it all, then I'll close that gap. And I will say, my gap is not, 30-something million, is, it's, it's less, and, and yours uh, uh, um, also comes up, so we're sort of meeting each other halfway. Uh, we didn't get there, uh, and um, there were a host of other things we did not uh, reconcile, but um, the upshot was that uh, the county um, uh, deemed that their engagement with uh, Toyon was done, and so we, we closed this out, or effectively they closed it out, and we did not reconcile those differences, but that's okay. Um, what we are also doing, uh, and as you know, the $23 million um, that is uh, sort of in, in, in um, um, on, on hold uh, right now, thank you, uh, is a retrospective ability to uh, maximize the contract, the available contracting dollars going back from 13, 14 all the way up to 17, 18, not 18, 19 last year or uh, dealing with 19, 20. So it's uh, for that amount. And as I note here, it was awaiting board, uh, board of supervisor approval, which was, uh, as we learned last month, contingent on the completion of the NGO audit, which we are uh, facilitating as quickly as we can, uh, but um, trying to move that forward. It takes a year. I think so, buddy. Yeah. It is. It's all. Oh, so oh. thank you, Amy. Uh, yes. Tuesday? Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> News flash on for Tuesday. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Thank you both. Well, thank you for that. Uh, and then the third piece is the uh, uh, contract negotiations for um, uh, 1920, our current contract. We have an interim contract. Uh, the process is to do an interim and a final. As I mentioned earlier today, we have a date set for the negotiation of the final contract. It is our expectation that we'll do both the final contract for 1920 uh, as well as 1819. Uh, a big part of what is a, a remaining challenge for us uh, that we hope to uh, basically resolve in this challenge is that the last full contract that was done was either 1314 or 1415. 
so the rates are basically those rates and as you look at then the cost if you think just labor costs increasing at a 30% clip each year then you're getting your expenses going well above your your revenue even if you maintain the same level of services which has fluctuated over the years to be sure uh, so we're hoping to address all of that in the uh, next uh, round here which will obviously be an opportunity for us to recognize some additional expenses that we are laying on to address quality patient safety um, uh, uh, service uh, um, opportunities as you've heard mentioned throughout the uh, earlier parts of this uh, this uh, presentation and then the final thing uh, just to sort of address a comment that uh, I think uh, gets to um, uh, one comment that doc, uh, question that Dr. Alvarado had is and a comment that Tanvir was making which is um, given the gravity of what we were looking at and I think what you heard uh, or I hope what you appreciated is that uh, the team has disclosed or discovered uh, that this is a complicated matter and it has been really complicated it's not as simple as someone and, and I, I don't want to uh, in any way um, um, dismiss this because I think it's a big part of what we've just talked about here this was a area in need of a lot of support and a lot of change and it uh, was not just the nursing staff and the patients who came before us and said we need help uh, it was also the service delivery model it was also the providers not just the psychiatrists but the hospitalists and making sure we had reliable uh, hospitalists I should say to make sure we have reliable services for comorbid patients with both behavioral and um, uh, medical issues who were bouncing in and out of John George uh, to make sure that the staff had the support they needed from a clinical perspective as well as a operational perspective the leadership uh, challenges did not just uh, exist at one layer but at several layers and so it was a pulling back of multiple layers of opportunity to figure out as you heard in some of the conversation how to uh, provide guidance and support to the staff but also how to engage the staff uh, who again I think it uh, bears saying again have been incredibly uh, um, uh, committed, aligned, and wonderful. Uh, some of that has also involved a, a great deal of, of training and competency uh, reinforcement for that staff as well. And I think the team, uh, as you've heard here, have been uh, very uh, uh, engaged in doing that and building up their own uh, uh, clinical proficiencies and confidence in the care that they've been providing. All of that is to say that uh, we have decided, and I uh, engaged uh, Luis and, and Gassan directly and said, you know, we needed to take both a sort of a short, mid, and long-range uh, look at this. And um, uh, my goal, our goal, then, was not to simply get beyond the survey. It was not to just get a um, corrective action, draw, drive that corrective action to uh, um, uh, sufficient performance to be able to demonstrate compliance, but to really, I, I, I hate to use this vernacular, but, but blow the, the, the model up and really say, what is it, let's take a fresh look, an unencumbered look at what is it that we have here uh, to bring in actually um, uh, subject matter expertise that goes beyond us, a fresh set of eyes to come in who uh, maybe either is in this business and is running it in a high quality organization providing services to a similarly uh, complicated population for which then we could learn from them uh, and or people who do this from the experience that they've done this stuff and now they consult and do this. So we have been doing our own due diligence to identify a panel of individuals who might actually engage. We started that work in earnest but we uh, did not want to in any way sort of confound it with the more immediate work that we had to get done here. So we needed to get beyond this but uh, it is absolutely our intention not to just simply um, keep the current model, which is a reason why we have not uh, rushed to fill 
um, uh, permanently the CAO role uh, and or the director of nursing role. We have brought in an interim because, again, uh, Janet uh, is wonderful and her bandwidth is pretty uh, well uh, tapped now and we want to make sure that we have some uh, ability to sustain that and not burn her out uh, either in the process. But um, uh, the notion here is that we have an opportunity to take a look at this. We have an interim chair who has really stepped up uh, um, as a uh, physician and clinical leader there, and we just want to uh, bring in some expertise and guidance for us as the operators that we will share with you as a governance to say uh, we have taken a different look at all of this and we want to, or perhaps, uh, or, or maybe we've gotten cooperation that the path that we're on is in fact where we should have been and, and should continue going. But we are going to take the what we think we need to do is take the step to really do that in a um, in a really robust way, and, uh, and and see if there's some su some substantive changes we need to make. So, so that is our plan at this point. Um, obviously, that will not just look at the clinical and the uh, operational uh, part of this, but also the fiscal part of this. Uh, on the PES side, obviously, well, inpatient we're always full, uh, and part of the challenge is when you're in a such a. I mean, it's. It's actually a bad thing uh, for an inpatient side to be at 100% capacity. Uh, it feels like it's good when you think about sort of you know productivity and other sorts of things, but it does not give you the, the bit of leverage or leeway that you need to have, particularly in a, uh, as such a uh, compromised patient population like this. You are just basically at 100 all the time. It does not give you the space to really be thoughtful and really uh, have kind of moments of calm and, and uh, 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 space to really work out, work these out. But that's really driven by the totality of the network. And that means that part of our conversations here uh, involve um, very collaborative conversations with our accounting partners to say, how are we making sure that the, the, um, the throughput uh, is working, that we're getting patients in and out, that we're not having a lot of uh, uh, bounce back or uh, avoidable bounce back uh, that our PES, which um, as you know, we went through a period where we got it down and the census was reliably in the 35 to 40 uh, patient range is now reliably 55 plus and it's getting to that point of where it was uh, the danger zone uh, uh, where it was three or four years ago. Uh, we're doing a lot more census holes now and we need to figure out how do we create a network that works well and how do we create a network that's sustainable so that uh, the dollars and the resources are being invested in this population, not just to maintain the status quo, because in fact, investing another 20 million in us might not be the right solution. Investing another 10 million in out of, um, um, when I say post-acute or upstream care, will probably help with this and be a lot more uh, of a uh, good return on investment. And we just need to be thoughtful about that. I'm sorry, what is Supportive that? housing. Yes, exactly. I mean, really, that's, that's, a, big, County. that's a big part of this. And we really, I, I, I want to be unequivocal about the fact that I think it's easy for people to think that, that, that because we hemorrhage so much gas and services that we offer that we would, uh, we would be uh, forcefully advocating for always mm. Um, uh, shoring up that by, by basically funding it, and I don't think that's the right idea. I think a lot of our challenges are because of things that are happening or not happening <coughs> outside of our context that will probably take a lot less investment to make it work a lot better so, for all of us. So, so that's the um, approach that we want to take. That takes a lot more time and a lot more uh, conversations and collaborations, but we're going to move in that direction. If I could just add to that, I mean, the, the uh, I believe Alameda County remains the a leader in 5150s. Mm -hmm. 
which is an indication uh, of a real system failure. Yep. Okay. And so, um, to, just to echo your point, it, for us to advocate for more resources for that very reactionary front door response, as opposed to having crisis response uh, that's in the, based in the community, mm -hmm. options for people to do uh, be in less restrictive environments, uh, would be actually unethical. So I really appreciate you saying that very loudly. Well, I appreciate uh, your, your, your support. I, I honestly do feel that we, we, we can get a lot more from that. And I'm hoping, actually, uh, uh, not to get too far ahead of myself here, but um, once we do stabilize on EPIC, I have had conversations with people in other county that, uh, at least one other county that has more of a sort of um, uh, integrated model between their outpatient crisis stabilization and their inpatient uh, and PES services. And having a, a continuous uh, group of um, providers, or at least that are connected, kind of help with the, the um, the sort of siloed uh, behavior yeah. that might occur that, if you're dealing with just one part of it. The other thing is having an integrated system. So um, um, uh, this, um, uh, just full disclosure, I'm talking about Contra Costa, and what I've heard is that having EPIC actually helps them to coordinate care for the patients when they're looking at them in the uh, crisis stabilization setting uh, as well as a PES setting um, uh, well. So uh, that's not something we have budgeted for or banked on, but I do think that there's an opportunity for us to perhaps uh, leverage this significant investment we've made to try to figure out how we both technologically and uh, uh, provider base build a uh, more cohesive network uh, that goes upstream and supports the uh, population more. So we're going to continue to look at it uh, uh, while we continue to do this very fundamental work of making sure that when uh, people are in our in our care and for the people who are providing that care that we provide a a, um, a sustainable and uh, um, supportive environment for that care to happen and that's that's just not easy to do but it's obviously and I think it's been demonstrated by this effort doable I, I, I worry that that level of engagement won't be sustainable and so we've got to figure out something that that works that doesn't require uh, this on a continuous basis because I think that that, that is that's probably going to um, um, confound us more than uh, if it if it has to stay in place for that much longer. And with that, I mean, you've asked a lot of okay. questions. We've taken a lot of time, so we have. Um, I, we've addressed um, it all. So. But I'm ready to move forward if, if, if everyone else is. Um, here, here. Okay. Yeah, that was that was certainly a healthy conversation. Yes, thank you. <coughs> All right, so we're to our um, uh, oh. motion to approve items F3, F4, F5 in aggregate. Can the, you do that, Mike? The yes. recommendation <laughs> for reappointments of trustees DeVries, Banerjee, and Appaletta. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 I feel we should abstain. We should abstain. We don't have a quorum. Because it was a well, quorum. Well, because I mean, we don't have a majority. Yeah, I don't think you have to. Because each abstain. You can abstain. You're not required to abstain. Right. Okay. There you go. You should have a confidence in yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right? We want to make sure. The last item is item F6, that our, our calendar for next year. Um, it's identical. If you guys looked in the packet, you know, we're sticking to the fourth, uh, fourth Thursday for our, our board meeting for QPSC, finance, HR. The one change I'm recommending uh, is that we go back to a two-day um, 
two times a year retreat. Right. Um, so you would lose a Friday and a Saturday morning. It's probably not as good for our loved ones, but better for our day jobs. Uh, and I think better for our attendance. Uh, it, just, it just seems that, uh, I, think it was a, I think it was a worthwhile experiment, but uh, it does seem like we're having a hard time getting full attendance on those Friday retreats uh, four times a year. Um, it's open to discussion, but that's, that's my recommendation. And I will, um, it's not that I don't think there's more work for us to do. Uh, I just, if there's a different way to model it, then, then, then excuse me, that I think we should. And I'm, I'm also open uh, to ad, uh, ad hoc special meetings, you know, convening at, at times during the year if we have to on a Saturday morning. Um, I'll be talking about that a little bit later in closed session uh, under performance evaluations. But um, so those are my thoughts, and I'll open it up to comment. Motion to approve the schedule as listed. Second. <laughs> okay. Any? I got my second. So, um, I, I don't think that we should go back to the two retreat format. I think it's too far apart. I think it creates uh, too much space in between some of the serious discussions that we need. And I don't know about anybody else, but I would prefer not to have to come on a Saturday. Same. And I just think that for staff also to have to arrange those is a different issue. Um, my belief is that if, you know, if it's on the calendar, I, I mean, I know we cancel tomorrow, but I honestly don't know what happened, so I'm out of the loop on that. It sounded like just two people couldn't attend, and there also wasn't a huge agenda, so it wasn't so much that we could get it for them. Right. And, and I disagree. I think there was an agenda. The agenda was about our CEO evaluation, and we need to do that. Um, we need to talk about that. And even if we had met just half a day, um, I, I think that was on the books. So I don't know. I'm just feeling a little disjointed about that one that... Reserving it to just a couple of days, fall and spring, or fall and winter, whatever it is, we've got a lot to do. I agree. I even felt like this evening there was a lot, and the conversation about behavioral health um, could have continued. I mean, we're talking about potential overhauls in the model of delivery. We got a lot of new information today about integration with with medical care, and you know, just other things that I feel like were still right for more discussion, so I think we could have probably done a lot um, tomorrow with the retreat, and I agree with creating space in between, too much space in between. And certainly if there's not enough to talk about, then it could be canceled, but at least we've got them on the books. I do, I do think it's important to have 100% uh, participation for, for those sorts of discussions. And so when you have, I understand what Joe was thinking that when you hit, you know, two people not being able to attend, and I, I agree that gets uncomfortable. So we'd have to, you know, maybe we need to come to some agreement with each other about what commitments we're willing to make. Well, and, and perhaps, oh, good. Yeah, if uh, I was just saying, if I, if we calendar it and we know that in advance, um, <coughs> it's it's doable. I do understand that there's a burden probably on the staff every two, three months it's coming but because we've had you know more time for discussion that's the thing is that 
Otherwise, we, when we do it once in uh, twice a year, the agenda is super packed. Like we have 45 minutes, 45 minutes for different things. So we never have generative conversations. So one of the things that's happened with a more frequent cycle is we've been able to build more time. That is my, um, my, um, you know, so I feel like I just wanted to ask for a clarification from Lewis about when you're saying 100%. Are you meaning you are more concerned about 100% participation at the at the retreat than at the regular board meeting? Yes, I, okay. I, I think it's you know I mean we're probably going to have each of us will probably miss a meeting or so a year just because that's what life does to you. But the retreat feels to me like that's actually you know it's about relationship. It's it's about having deeper uh, dialogue with each other and. You know, if you miss that, then that can really be uh, a missing puzzle, piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. uh, in future conversations. That's, that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. it you know, I, I'm open to modifying this proposal. I just, it, you know, we, <clears throat> but when we first came on the board, we had a retreat twice a year, mm -hmm. and we met once a month, and we had more committees, and the committees. The, the, the additional committees created some disjointedness and some lack of cohesive, cohesion on the board, and in fact some conflict uh, that, that mm -hmm. Kenny remembers and I remember, and I think Maria remembers, um, I don't think the rest of you were around. So then we, 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 we dropped a couple committees. Uh, we changed then to meeting twice a month, and the Thursday night twice a month what the first meeting was more, uh, uh, well, we called it educational, but it was more deliberative. And then the second meeting was more formal business, like, okay, we're going to vote on things. And so that was a model that we tried, but we still just had two retreats a year. So then we pulled back to meeting once a month, and then we tried the four times a year retreat. Um, you know, I... I I'm not, sh I'm not sure which one was best, uh, I, mean, I guess at this point. And to be fair, I'm not saying that we don't need to do more work. Uh, I know for me, for some reason, my Fridays at work have become like my Mondays. Um, every Friday, I have significant meetings that I, I have to step away from to be at our retreat. Uh, one with my boss's boss, who's the mayor, and one with the team that I run, and I have to be there. And so for, for me... It doesn't have to be Friday. It doesn't have to be Friday. So, so maybe there, there's a, a different thing. Um, you know, I mean, and I know for other board members, it's, I mean, we have had a hard time getting full attendance at our... At our, at our retreats. Um, I thought more, it was more because Saturday people were out. Like they'd come for one day and not for the other day. No, we, we had good attendance on Saturday. Oh. Uh, remember the Saturday at Fairmont, we yeah. stayed till practically 4 o'clock yeah, in the afternoon. But how long have we been trying this new configuration? It's not this a year. year. It's a year now. It's just this year, correct? It's just this yeah, year. It's it's just this hasn't year. been a year. Right. right. This would have been our tomorrow, tomorrow would have been our fourth okay. retreat oh. of the year. Mm -hmm. Day of the week. You guys, uh, maybe you pick a different day. Yeah, maybe we <laughs> maybe we try that. Yeah. I don't know what he said. <laughs> I, I want to know what Mike said. Right? Right? Yeah, Mike said. Mike's probably done us. No, 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 no. He's talking about me. I I I get in trouble because of my facial expressions. He was, he was giving oh, me advice. Me advice to fix my face. So no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this requires some more thought. Um, we do have a meeting next month, right? Yeah. 
Here? Yes, you do. So I, I mean, people want to talk about it more. I, 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 what's that? Go to San Leandro. Oh, right, right, of course, go to San Leandro. I'll, I'll retract the retreat calendar uh, and just put forward the regular calendar so that we could have a more discussion about the retreat in November. People can mull it over and think about it. Give me some ideas. Um, Change the date, Monday. Make it Monday. Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's not just about my Friday schedule. It's really about all of us. And I think that's the thing about a retreat is you say to yourself, I'm giving up everything else and I'm putting all of my focus right here, right. which is why often retreats are done off campus. And I started to, I said we shouldn't do them off campus because we were broke and I didn't want to spend money going right. elsewhere. We do them off it campus. is true, it's, we are broke. Yeah, but it's, right. you know, being on campus <laughs> right. does help with right. all the intent we're talking about, the bonding, the relationship building, right. all that stuff. Right, but I just, yeah, so I just <laughs> was cheap and I said, no, we should just do it here. And it made, so, um, what about Thursday? Because yes, that's when all of our other yeah. meetings are. Can it just be a different day? It doesn't have to be like the day after meeting. It could yeah, be like another Thursday. No. <laughs> no. So you start just doing the whole thing. Yeah, it would be like Thursdays. Oh, your PPSC. And finances on a Thursday, but it's just the other Thursday, whatever fourth Thursday that is. I'm too tired to decide right okay, now. I think we are. I think, are, I think and I, we've got public comment. I think you have a good proposal. Let's, let's talk about the retreat next month. Otherwise, I have a motion to adopt the rest of the calendar for 2020. Well, you're talking about an amendment to a motion, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Somebody needs to amend uh, this. Can I propose a friendly amendment to your motion? That we remove the retreat calendar from the, the retreat schedule from the calendar until next month. So accepted, or whatever oh, I need so to say. Okay. Thank you. Second. All in favor? Aye. Great. Thank you. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, we have. Uh, I, I got a uh, Dr. Naluri. Yeah. Hey, come on up. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for your time. Uh, my name is Abby. I'm one of the orthopedic residents here. Um, this is really kind of just a cry for help, honestly, to plead for your guys' uh, uh, your guys' assistance. I just want to share some patient stories about what's going on in the OR situation. It has been going on for a few months now. Um, I'll just give you initials of patient IR. He's a 60-year-old male. Came in as a level one trauma, bilateral femurs. One of them was open. He had huge degloving injuries to his perineum. Life-threatening injuries, okay. We were able to take him to the OR once or twice, along with general surgery, after which he needed, I think, to date 17 surgeries to kind of debride all of his wounds and make sure that they were clean. He got infected. We had to remove his hardware. But what you guys don't, and he now he's out of the hospital, and he's, we're seeing him in clinic, and he's doing better. So collectively, we saved his life. But what you guys don't hear about is three or four times at least, his case was delayed at 3 p.m. and at 6 p.m. Because at 3 p.m., the staff switches, and we don't have the staff to, to do his case. And at 7 p.m., we go down to just a trauma team, and we don't have the staff to do his case. Okay, and that's pretty much unacceptable, but that he's one of, and I see the clock ticking, so I'm gonna keep going. MC, a 30-year-old femur fracture who stayed in-house for 72 hours, okay? PM, a 34-year-old tibia fracture, level one trauma, who was intubated for 12 hours longer than he needed to be because they were waiting for us to take him to surgery, okay? On October 12th, I was on call with Dr. Prinia. We had an open forearm fracture, a finger abscess, and a tibia fracture that we could not take until 7 p.m. because the backup trauma team, nobody would answer the phone, and nobody showed up, and we called the OR manager, and she was off duty. 
Okay? I hope that none of you and none of your friends and none of the people that you care about get these injuries and are sitting around in bed for three days waiting to get done. And Dr. Victorino has talked to our department and our attendings, my attendings, about the fact that we don't do hip fractures within 48 hours, which is standard of care across the world. And the reason we don't do it is not because we don't want to. We have the bodies, but the OR staff doesn't. The quality of care at this hospital for orthopedic problems is, is very poor, okay? And we're struggling for resources. We've always struggled for resources as a hospital. This is a county hospital, I understand. How, it's, how it is. I'm a resident, I go to a lot of hospitals, I see places that are worse and places that are better. But now we're struggling for bodies. And we're and this isn't something that we're over or under budget. We're literally struggling to get patients to the operating room. There are patients, multiple patients that had AMA because they didn't get care in the time they needed and I don't know what happened to them. These are patients that we think about, that we start with. Um, and we have, the, place, the thing that's unique about Highland and the reason that I think it's great is because even with all these struggles, we have people here who are pillars of strength for this hospital. We have people that we rally around. We have people that do more with less resources and with less everything because, and we learn from their experiences and the things that they can teach us. And just today, I had to say goodbye to a scrub tech who had been here for six years. We, we pulled him up to our clinic, we got him a cake, and we all said goodbye. And he's one of the best techs that this hospital has ever seen. And people are feeling that. In the OR, we have people that are gonna leave. We have four travelers that are gonna leave within the next two weeks and we don't have openings for them. So the situation is only gonna get worse, okay? And this person on Monday is starting a job at Kaiser San Leandro doing joints. The great people that are here are not here because they want fame, because they want money. There's nothing convenient about working here. Even the parking isn't free, okay? And I hear that from a lot of them. They're here because they like the people that they work with, they feel like they matter, and most importantly, the patients that we treat don't have anywhere else to go and we can do something good for someone who doesn't have anywhere to turn. But now that we're, we're messing with these people, these people are leaving and the, and the impact of this one scrub tech leaving, while it might, you guys might think that it's replaceable, but it's not. His experience, his dedication, his hard work, his attention to detail is not something that you're gonna replace. And that goes for our attendings. You might think that our attendings are replaceable, that maybe if the trauma people leave, you can hire young ones and that might be true. You might get young, hungry trauma people who come in, but the experience, is not something that you'll be able to replace. The how, how they know the system, the patients, the community, you, is not something that you'll be able to change. And if you know, and if that doesn't, I sorry, I'm sorry if I sound angry. If that doesn't, if that falls on deaf ears, and you guys haven't been in that situation, you haven't treated the patients, then I'll talk in another way that you might understand. Financially, the OR is bleeding. You are paying people over time. The people are working double shifts just to keep it running right now. On October 12th, Mo worked a 24-hour shift. She was there from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., then went home from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. and took backup trauma call at home and then came back at 11 p.m. And I know because I was there the entire time trying to get cases done. And we eventually got that open forum done in a 25-year-old man at 10 p.m. So all I want to say is that we're at kind of a battle right now in the OR. Morale is low. People are dropping like flies. Um, we're trying to provide the care for our patients that we can. Everyone is frustrated. The leadership is lacking. You don't have anywhere to turn to. Um, the schedule is made however the schedule is made and they have their Thursday meetings in the OR but no one feels like they're being heard. And I, I'm just pleading with you guys to cast a little bit of light onto that. I know there was just a discussion with John George and I don't know the exact situation with John George but it's pretty bad in the operating room. Today, right now, the people that are sitting behind me that we're gonna go to the OR. There's a, I wish Dr. Bullard was here because there's a level one trauma that came in on Tuesday night when me and Dr. Sean were on call. His wrist is dislocated, he's intubated. Our hand surgeon was coming in from Alameda 
the Dew's case today. And at 3 p.m., the OR told us, we don't have staff because GenSearch has a case. And then at 5 p.m., we'll go down to one room because people are going to leave and nobody wants to stay late because they're being worked into the ground already and being paid overtime. If that person, he's in his 30s, if he wakes up, and he will wake up, he will get better and wake up, and his median nerve doesn't work, it's on us. It's on us. Okay? It's a battle, and if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to lose. Care is going to get worse, and everyone is going to suffer. The patient's the most. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So we adjourned to closed session? Yes. All right. Thank you very much. <clears throat> the board adjourned from closed session at 10 o'clock and took no reportable action.